where's the best place to buy tires? Where's the best repair shop for my hybrid? Questions about your car? Drive into Dobbs. With more than 40 locations, our team of technicians will get the job done right the first time. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Cheap, cheap, fun, fun. Spring is in the air and Dirt Cheap is in your neighborhood ready to deliver the perfect drinks to your doorstep. That's right. All of Dirt Cheap's convenient locations now offer delivery of their wide selections of beers, wines, and all the spirits you need. And if you're like me, nothing hits better in the springtime than a nice weeded bourbon. Ask the friendly staff at Dirt Cheap about their selection of weeders like Maker's Mark, Larceny, and so many others. Download the Dirt Cheap app and order curbside or delivery. Have fun, but be careful out there. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Mason Wynn is obviously one. I know he wasn't good in his debut. I still think he's going to be an above-average everyday shortstop. And obviously with the 80-grade arm, I compare him to doing a lot of the same things as Raphael Fertal. That's a guy that, like, from early in my life that I still remember because he just, like, ran real fast and threw real hard and played shortstop and was on some good teams. And Wynn has some of that same stuff going on. So I think that's exciting. Alongside Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. That voice you just heard was Kylie McDaniel, who was on with us late last week talking about the one, the only Mason Wynn, who T-Bone, man, Getting some national publicity. All these national publications are coming out with their prospect rankings and over on The Athletic. Keith Law, who I know is the biggest fan favorite here in St. Louis. I love that guy. Put out his top 100 prospects in Major League Baseball. Now, you as a Cardinals fan might enjoy this. He had Mason win at number 16 on the list. T-Bone, I think this is from my recent memory. I know we had Jordan Walker up in the top five. He had Alex Reyes up in like the top 10 at some point. I think other than like dating back to Tavares, if we go post Tavares to today, I think this might be the highest rated prospect that Keith Law has had for the St. Louis Cardinals over the last seven, eight years is Mason Wynn. And I feel like he is like the most under the radar top 15 to 20 prospect in Major League Baseball that I can remember since moving to St. Louis. Because Mason Wynn is coming up this year without a whole lot of fanfare. And I can't totally understand why that is. Because there are certain teams that are known for certain positions, right? When I think Baltimore Ravens, I think defense. When I think defense with them, I think linebacker, really. Because of Ray Lewis and because of what they have right now with the position. When I think of Missouri Tigers football, I think defensive end. That's what they produce. That's what they put into the league. It's defensive end and it's quarterbacks. When I think St. Louis Cardinals baseball... I think for a lot of people, they think like middle of the order hitter, right? Or they think consistently bringing up these dudes that are just really solid major leaguers. Matt Carpenter, Brendan Donovan, the Cardinals devil magic player. You know what the last position is that I think about at least over the last 20 years? It's shortstop. And they have the potential right now internally for the first time since Ozzie Smith to be able to develop somebody from within. And even Ozzie, like, came from another organization. You look at what they're doing right now. This is borderline unprecedented with what they are potentially going to have with Mason Wynn. And don't take my word for it. Take fan graphs. They're nerdy numbers. If you want to go with the scouts, that's what the athletic is. That's what Kylie McDaniel is. They're watching the player and telling you about the tools. If you want to get more nerdy with it, you want to look at the projection systems, they're following suit, man. Earlier today, Fangraphs put out the guys that increased their projections the most. 
based on their performance in 2023. Now, this is minor leaguers, major leaguers, everybody in between. In the top five on that list, from where he was this time last year to where he is today based on the wins above replacement projections for the next four years, is Mason Wynn. T-Bone, I'm starting to get excited about what he could be for the St. Louis Cardinals. Are you feeling that same amount of excitement? I am, uh, because I, I just assume, like, ever since the end of last season, like, my expectations for Mason Wynn this year have always been, and I think they will still be, you know, 220 hitter. Don't really notice him offensively, but, man, he's going to be great defensively. And then I see the fan graphs numbers, as you mentioned, that project this massive difference in his war now for the next three years, coming off of in which – the small sample size I saw of him, I wasn't that impressed with at the plate. Then I read up Keith Law, which I trust his prospect writing. I trust Kylie McDaniel's prospects' writings. And they all seem to say, hey, yeah, he's great defensively, but, man, he's got a great bat as well. So, yeah, I am getting excited about Mason Wynn. Now, I'm still going to keep those very low expectations of, like, can we get an Andrelton Simmons-type rookie year from him? But, hey, if he ends up exceeding that and ends up being what these guys are writing about, yeah, I'm excited because – one, as you mentioned, that would be one of the first shortstops that they've de developed internally. And think about the bat that we're talking about and what they're kind of projecting him towards. It would probably be the most power if he hits like 12 to 15 home runs at short since Johnny Peralta. Like, yeah. think think about that for a moment. You're right. It hasn't been a position that they've been strong at developing players at. In fact, they always have to go outside the organization to go find their stop gap at shortstop. So, yeah, with all the write-ups around Mason Wynn, I am finding myself getting more excited about him because I think you're right. He is one of the more underrated prospects, recent memory for the Cardinals that we're just not talking a lot about. And I would say that says a lot about the way people view this Cardinals lineup because he is hitting like ninth for the Cardinals, even though he has high prospect status. Who would you guys guess is the player that has taken the most at-bats for the Cardinals at shortstop since 1998? The player that's taken the, the highest number of at-bats at the shortstop position for the Cardinals since the end of the 1998 season. See, Peralta is there for like two and a half. He is fourth on this list. He's fourth? Fourth oh on this gosh. list. Where's Edgar? He is number one. Boom. Ding, 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 nice. ding. Yeah. Edgar Renteria is two, number one on the Cardinals list of the most at-bats for the team since 1998. Number two? Brendan Ryan? Number three. He's number five. Oh, man. Number two is recent. Paul recent. DeYoung. Paul DeYoung is the oh my has the second most at-bats for the Cardinals at the position <laughs> since 98. <laughs> and number three is David Eckstein. Oh, okay. So you go Edgar Renteria, Paul DeYoung, David Eckstein, Brendan, or excuse me, Johnny Peralta, and Brendan Ryan. And then Greg Garcia is sixth. Aledmus Diaz wow. is seventh. Oh, my. Rafael Fercal is eighth on this list. It's a fun year. The reason why I bring all of this up is because it's a reminder of how often they've got... We talk about the outfield churn all the time. Dude, they have had a consistent churn at the shortstop position. Look at the last, like, seven years. It goes from Aledmus Diaz to Paul DeYoung to Tommy Edmond to back to Paul DeYoung, and then now we are finally in the Mason Wynn era. This is some super exciting stuff, man. I was looking yesterday at some more projections and, like, getting myself excited about the offense again. Who could have seen this one coming? And when you look at it and what they have projected for the Cardinals offense right now, there are only two players in the everyday lineup that are considered to be below average hitters. And it's Tommy Edmond, who's at 99 on his win the fancy nerdy numbers. The he's 1% below league average is his projection. And then Mason Wynn, who's 10% below league average based on projections. Dude, if I could hit a button today and just sign up for that for his rookie season, 
I can't tell you how quickly I would do it. With borderline gold glove defense at short, a dude that could steal 15, 20 bags for you, maybe hit 5, 10, 15 home runs. Hell yeah, dude. I'd sign up for that in a second. And that's what the Cardinals have at the position right now. It, I'm surprised by how much it's gone under the radar. And I think it's because of all of the concerns, justifiably so, that people have about the pitching side of things. We are so worried about that side that it almost takes off any of the like shiny new toy excitement from what you potentially have with Wynn and Walker going into 2024. And T-Bone, those aren't the only two players that I'm excited about. Over on The Athletic, going back to Keith Law's list, he also had a list that included, uh, when you look at the top 100 prospects, Victor Scott, number 55 on the list. Now, Victor Scott was made in a lab for me to be excited about him. <laughs> the dude is a defense-first, super-fast, 80-grade speed center fielder. That is BK written all over it. Then you add in the fact that he doesn't have a lot of swing and miss to his game. He's a contact hitter first, power second, hopefully going to grow into some doubles and homers. <laughs> you are speaking my language, good friend. And yet, I don't feel like there's a lot of excitement about him either yet because it still feels like he's a ways away. T-Bone, you said something earlier today, and it applies to both Scott and Mason Wynn and their value that they could have for the Cardinals and how it kind of it, it reverts back to where we were at this point last year. Yeah, I, I think back to the rule changes last year when, when we were coming into the season. I remember John Mozeliak saying to the opening drive, saying, I don't, I don't know if they're really going to impact us. And as Mo learned, they did. Um, I think they kind of lucked into having two guys that are going to carry even more value, these prospects, Victor Scott and Mason Wynn, because of these rule changes. Because I think of Victor Scott, when, when we talk about Victor Scott, what are you excited about most? I would say the stolen base ability when you have 94 stolen bases across two levels in the minor leagues. Well, why is that number so high? Yes, he probably would still be a significant base stealer without the new rule changes, but I would bet he added a significant number because of that. And then I think of like a Mason Wynn defensively. Mason Wynn is going to hold more value with the banning of the shift up the middle. Why? Because of his defensive range, the gold glove that we're talking about. I, I think some of the excitement around Victor Scott is because of the rule changes. I don't, and that's not like a shot against Victor Scott. I just don't know how much excitement there would be around him. Now, he's still 300 hitting prospect at double A last year, but I don't think he has 90 plus stolen bases last year without the rule changes. And I think when you think of those guys, if when they get to their primes or even their rookie years, whatever Victor Scott's is, and we're looking at Mason wins this year, Mason Wynn, if he doesn't hit offensively, where's his value going to be? It's going to be that excellent gold glove defense. Yep. Victor Scott, if he struggles offensively whenever he gets up here in his first year plus, what he, what's his value going to be? It's not only going to be his defense in center field, which is supposed to be plus-plus. It's going to be the fact that when he does get on base, he's going to be causing havoc, which Cardinals fans will just love because they love those 80s teams that ran. I think those two minor leaguers, Cardinals kind of lucked into it with the rule changes. I don't think they were expecting this for say. But, man, those two guys, Wynn and Scott, are going to hold a ton of value under the new rules that were implemented last year. I'm genuinely excited to watch him. Like, this is, the, again, he was, he was made in a lab for me to enjoy watching him play baseball. But when you think about what the value is for a player of Victor Scott's specific skill set in the 2024 game, he is somebody that could come in, play gold glove defense for you in center field, steal 40 to 50 bags this upcoming calendar year and suddenly you have a guy at the bottom of your lineup like that is exactly what the cardinals have been looking for for a decade now 
So when you look at what they have up the middle with center field and shortstop, the cavalry is coming. It's just a matter of can you get there? Can you get yourself across the finish line with a current rotation that allows you the opportunity to have these guys live up to the expectations? And that's that's why I'm, I don't know. I don't know if they have enough there. But when you look at what they have in the lineup, this is a team that is worth getting excited about from that side of things. We'll get into the rotation as we go along here today. That's Tanner Hendrickson. He's Bradford Bruns. I'm Brandon Kylie. You've got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we got to talk about Mizzou basketball, ladies and gentlemen, because it is ugly. And the Tigers have not won a conference game yet. There's only been one SEC team in the last 20 years that failed to win a conference basketball game. Whew. It was Vanderbilt. It was a few years ago. They ended up firing that coach. If you look at the, the coaches that have done that in major college basketball, none of them ended up having any success at the program in which they had zero conference wins. Tigers got to get a win. They, they got to get a win. And unfortunately, this was their opportunity. The past week, they went up against Arkansas, who got their butts whipped over the weekend by LSU. And Vandy, who was the other team that had zero conference wins so far this season. So we'll talk about them and what it all means coming up in about 15 minutes or so. But coming up next, it is officially Super Bowl week, which means tonight we get that circus that is opening night with the NFL. What is the biggest storyline that could come out of this year's Super Bowl matchup between the 49ers and the Chiefs? We'll give you our thoughts on that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Biggest storyline heading into this year's Super Bowl. Alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Bradford Bruns, I'm Brandon Kylie. Alex off for one more week. He'll be back in next week. By the way, a congratulations to our guy, Alex. We'll talk about this whenever he gets back in, but he's announced it now on social media, which means we can do it here on the show. Our guy, Alex Ferrario, is just lining up a new softball team. That's what his goal is. He and his wife announced yesterday they are pregnant with their third baby girl. So a congratulations. To Alex Ferrario. If you guys want to reach out, please do so on social media. Uh, really happy for our guy. Again, he is out this week. He will be back with us next week. But the Super Bowl is taking place on Sunday. And T-Bone, tonight, that means it is officially opening night, which is that circus that takes place in Las Vegas. And I can't imagine how much of a circus this is going to be in Las Vegas specifically. Oh, um, but sometimes there's some fun that comes out of it. And one of the big storylines that will, or one of the big questions that will take place is, you know, we start getting these hey, this is when Andy Reid can make his mark as like one of the greatest coaches of all time, all these different things. For you, T-Bone, when you're thinking about big picture, what this game means, who it means the most for, what is the storyline that you're going to be honing in on for the Super Bowl? So I hate to keep going back on the same one, and it all always evolves around the quarterback for me. It's Patrick Mahomes and the greatness that he has right now because we, we've talked about it. Him getting – we thought it was impressive when he beat Buffalo in the divisional series – but we didn't really think there was much of a chance he got this squad to a Super Bowl with the offensive weapons that he has. And Patrick Mahomes has been awesome for this entire playoff run. And this is the worst surrounding cast I think he's had in terms of offense. I think the defense is being overshadowed because of how good Patrick Mahomes has been on this playoff run. 
but this is the worst cast he's had offensively, and he's back to another Super Bowl, and he can have the same amount of Super Bowl wins as Tom Brady through year seven. So I, I think it's Patrick Mahomes and his greatness, and I remember last week we were talking about it. I think we played a cut from the Ringers football podcast of, you know, he's only getting better, and it's just incredible to think, like, man, if he goes out there, and I don't even think the San Francisco defense is actually all that good, but he goes out there and wins a Super Bowl with this team in another down year, and it's back-to-back Super Bowls for the Kansas City Chiefs, I think you can just kind of you can imagine the sports talk radio and what like first takes going to be talking about the Monday after the Super Bowl. It's just going to take off for what his greatness is and trying to project forward. Bradford, for you, what is the storyline that you find to be most interesting in this year's Super Bowl? Well, like Tanner, I think the control and precision with which Mahomes is now playing in the postseason, certainly it draws your eyes, your attention toward that. The measured way in which he has carried this offense, lifted this offense across the finish line, to borrow from that cliche. But I'm also very intrigued, I think, to really see the way in which everything comes full circle for this defense against San Francisco. Because in so many different respects— In this playoff section here, when you talk about the teams that Kansas City has been able to go out against and really dismantle from a defensive standpoint, now granted, Miami coming into the playoffs was no great shakes. We understand that, banged up and so forth. Buffalo, a bit different. And then if you go back to that Kansas City victory over Baltimore just a couple of weeks ago and the scheme, the overall execution from Steve Spagnuolo and company, it's not something, and BK, we were talking about this before the show in the offense, it's just right now probably not generating the level of headlines, the number of headlines that we need to be talking about, just how great, just how transcendent of a presence he has been as a D coordinator across eras, really. Yeah, that's that's my storyline. Um, I think this is the Super Bowl of Spags. Like, if Steve Spagnuolo ends up winning the Super Bowl with the Chiefs, it'll be his third. He was, he was with the New York Giants in 2007. He was not there for their run in 2011. But that 07 run that he had as the DC for the Giants, it's one of the most impressive jobs I've ever seen by a coach. You look at the early Bill Belichick run, 01 to 04, that was all Bill. Like Tom was an important piece, don't get me wrong, and he had some really clutch moments, and that's what you got to do. But Tom Brady essentially played the role of Eli Manning for those early Patriots teams. Just be a caretaker. Make the plays when necessary, but otherwise our defense is going to help us win these games. And Bill Belichick was the mastermind behind those defenses. You think, of course, the um, game plan against the Rams, for example, the greatest show on turf. It was unbelievable. What Spags did in 07, though, was as impressive, if not more so, than anything that Bill Belichick did other than that game that he had against the greatest show on turf. Spags was able to shut down what I believe to be the greatest offense of, like, the post-greatest show on turf era in the NFL. That 07 Patriots team was legitimately unstoppable. That you, you couldn't do anything to stop it, and Spags found a way. And so when you add that... To what he did in his first run with the Chiefs as the defensive coordinator, where the defense just made enough plays. They, they did enough to get on. T- and then you throw this one on top of it, where you go up against the Miami Dolphins, who if you want to throw that one out, fine. But they did score 60 earlier this year. They did have Tyreek Hill. They did have Jalen Waddell. Like, that offense for much of the season was considered to be the most explosive offense in the NFL. They did nothing against the Chiefs in that game in the Frozen Tundra. But then you go and you do the same thing on the road against Josh Allen and the Bills, an offense that had previously up to that point been really good in their next six weeks. That's pretty damn impressive. And then last week, going on the road again against the MVP 
in their home base in the AFC championship game and just completely neutering anything that that offense was able to do and making them lose their mind, by the way, running six design carries by their running backs. If you then follow all of that up with an ability to shut down a Kyle Shanahan offense with Christian McCaffrey and Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk and George Kittle. All right. Now we got to talk about this as an all-time great defensive mind. A guy that outside of Bill Belichick is probably the second best defensive mind of this generation. And outside of Bill Belichick might be, if you look at offense or defense, like it's Andy Reid, it's Kyle Shanahan, it's Bill Belichick. And then next in that list, you might have to get to Steve Spagnuolo in terms of a defining member of this era of football, either on the offensive or defensive side of the ball. That's what we're watching here. So for me, I think Steve Spagnuolo is the single biggest storyline because I don't think anything changes for Mahomes with a win in this one. Like, does it keep him on track to maybe have the conversations about Brady? Sure. I'm not all that interested in the conversations about Mahomes versus Brady, though. Mahomes is the best I've ever seen do it. Brady is the most accomplished I've ever seen do it. It's going to be similar to what we talk about with the LeBron versus Jordan. Everybody's going to have their side. Nobody's going to be able to change one way or the other. But when it comes to what we're talking about with Spags, that's real. That's definable. That's him putting his name up in the lore of football history. So for me, I, I find that side of things to be a little bit more interesting. Yeah, and, and he's he's interesting because to your point about putting him up there in the same list as like a Belichick, a Shanahan, uh, and Andy Reid, we, we don't talk about it because how often do you talk about a coordinator for a sustained run, you know? Spagnola had that run as a head coach with the Rams for three years. It didn't go well. But you never really think of him as, like, a defense, great defensive mind. Why? Because he never got a long, sustained, successful head coaching run. Yep. He just kind of gets washed off into the background. And you're right. He is one of the most kind of, I would say, influential defensive figures in football in this in this generation because of how good he has been. I mean, the defenses he's had with the Kansas City Chiefs, this one's unbelievably good. But as you said, he was really good last year in that game. When he was with the Giants, they were incredible shutting down that uh, New England Patriots squad. So I, it's a really good one to bring up because he is kind of viewed in like a minor role for the Kansas City Chiefs when he should like really be highlighted for not just his work with the Chiefs but what he did with that Giants squad because he is such a great defensive mind and how he's been able to shut down such great offenses. And BK, some of the growing pains that he had to go through with this unit last season in particular, such a young, young group on that side of the ball, you knew that they were going to pay dividends going into the season. Now it's a matter of him really getting to kind of play with the full arsenal. And what is impressive to me is that you think about, especially with the last this most recent coaching cycle, guys, so many of the individuals you would have expected maybe to turn up in another position, another market, a Belichick, etc. No, Spags, on the other hand, continuously evolving, continuously relevant. And that stretch, again, we can't necessarily say that anything is going to eclipse or equal even the performance that his unit, his team in New York had back in 2007. But to be doing this with a completely different set of players in 2024, it's wildly impressive. Yeah, it's super impressive. The other thing that I wanted to get to is Brock Purdy because I, I'm a Brock Purdy hater. Uh, I'll raise my hand. I said last week, I think he's like the 17th best quarterback in the NFL. He's in a perfect situation from him for him. I, I do think this is a huge, huge game for Brock Purdy because no matter how you feel about him and I, how he performs in this game changes nothing for me in terms of how I view him as a quarterback. It's one game. Nick Foles had an excellent game against uh, Bill Belichick. He went on to still be Nick Foles after that. Uh, he got paid, but he still was the same old Nick Foles. Yeah. I'll feel the same way about Brock Purdy after this, but 
if you're somebody that does believe in him, I'm not, but if you are, this is the game where you need to see it. Because so far this postseason, I think there has been evidence on either side of how you want to feel about Brock Purdy. It, it is that classic test of like, what do you see? It's probably based upon what your priors were. Because I, I view Brock Purdy and I'm like, man, he is super lucky to have not thrown like six interceptions in his past two games. And he is super fortunate that the Packers ended up falling apart in the second half. And the Lions fell apart in the second half. And if not for that, he's not here. But I also have to give credit where it's due. Brock Purdy took advantage. He found a way to make the plays when they were necessary. He had some clutch drives in both games. So I'll give him that credit. If you do that against Spags and you do that in the Super Bowl when it is the biggest stage possible, I will at least concede that he's a franchise quarterback. That's as far as I'm willing to go, but I will concede that he's a franchise quarterback. And that is something that can only be validated in a game like this. And it requires him to not be a passenger but to be the driving reason why the San Francisco 49ers win this Super Bowl. And I think that's going to be necessary. I don't think they can win without him making four or five big throws in this game. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I, I think I would definitely put him into the franchise quarterback conversation, or I would put him as a franchise quarterback if they win the Super Bowl, if he's the driving force for it. Now, I think it's going to be tough to determine if he's the driving force. I, I don't know how we're going to define that. I guess throwing it down the field and not just it's dumping off screens. It's the old to pornography definition, right? You know it when you see it? Yeah. We'll, we'll know it when we see it with Brock Birdie, if he was a passenger or if he was the driver. But but I, I would agree. I, I think him winning a Super Bowl would definitely put him into the franchise quarterback conversation. Um, I, I don't know he would move up high on my list, though, because we did the list last week, and you said it. He was like the 16th, 17th best quarterback in the NFL. And I, and I agree with that. And I don't think he leapfrogs a lot of guys if he wins a Super Bowl, but I think he at least solidifies and you can put a stamp on him as that's the guy for the San Francisco 49ers for the next five-plus years for their franchise. Fair points, all. In order to be that driver, though, it's going to require him to actually make some of those vertical throws down the field to Ayuk, yeah. etc. And I do, against this secondary, do you have any modicum of confidence that well, that's going to happen? If he makes it a off a face mask, he could do it. I think he'll make a couple. Uh, those are the throws that the Chiefs defense wants you to make. He'll test, he'll test them. I, I don't know that they'll be super successful, but I bet you Brock Purdy has a couple of moments in this game. Because it's going to require it. Like, Shanahan's going to have to at some point say, Brock, you got to go make a throw. And that's what happened in the last time that these two teams played in the Super Bowl. And Jimmy Garoppolo was unwilling and unable to make that throw. And they drafted Trey Lance as a result. We're going to find out. We're going to find out if Brock Purdy is capable of going up against these corners who press more than any cornerback duo in the NFL. And this blitz package, when he is the number one quarterback this year against blitzes in the NFL, I've seen it all over the place. That's fine. It's cool that he's been able to do that in the NFL this season. I think this is a little different. Uh, Lamar was really good against the Blitz this year, and then he went up against Steve Spagnuolo, and he was seeing ghosts in the pocket. It's it's different when you go up against this specific defense and what they present to you. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll get into questions and answers. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. If you guys have any questions, get them in right now. We'll get to those in about 15 minutes. But next, what is your level of concern? Not for this Missouri basketball team. It's it's over. It's done. Game over. This season has been a wash. What's your level of concern for this Ma Mizzou basketball program, given how bad this season has been? We'll give you our answer to that coming up next year on 101 ESPN. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. 
Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. All right, so it's not even worth asking what's your level of concern about this Missouri basketball team. This team is done. It's over. They've dug that grave. They are laying in it right now. The team is buried. They are so far under. It is not even worth discussing. Oh, man, they could win the SEC tournament. Absolutely not. No, they they shouldn't even go to Nashville for the SEC tournament. They should say, you know what? We're good. We're just going to stay at home. There is no need for us to travel this year. We'll just save the expenses. We'll send our kids to, like, I don't know, Orlando. They can go to Disney World for a week because they've earned it after what was a horrific (laughs) basketball season for the Missouri Tigers. But I do think it's worth asking at this point, what's your level of concern for the Missouri basketball program? T-Bone, I was all in on Dennis Gates coming off of last season. I think he's a good coach. I think he's an excellent recruiter. I think he assembled a really good staff, and he showed in year one he has the ability to get the most, extract as much talent as possible out of the players that he is coaching. I think this year he has whiffed so badly in the transfer portal that there was just no way that he was ever going to be able to have success. I overestimated the talent on this team. He clearly overestimated the talent that he had on this team. And the result is one of the worst seasons, not only in Missouri program history, but in SEC history. T-Bone, the only SEC team in the last 20 seasons to go winless in conference play was the 2018 Vanderbilt Commodores. This is historically bad. And if you're looking at Missouri's schedule, there are not a lot of opportunities remaining on the schedule at this point for them to go out there and get a win. Now, some of this, I do need to say, is because the SEC is just significantly better at basketball than it used to be. A lot of it, though, is because Missouri is really, really, really bad. I mean, they had an opportunity against Arkansas, a team that has given up on the season. Their coach does not want to be there any longer. Those players want nothing to do with him, and they got mollywhopped. They went up this weekend against Vandy and had no chance of winning that game. Vanderbilt was winless coming into that game in the SEC play. How worried are you at this point, T-Bone, not just about this year, forget it, that's a wash, but about the future of what Missouri basketball is going to look like under Dennis Gates? I would say pretty concerned because, like you said, this was a major whiff in recruiting this year from the portal and everything that he he tried to accomplish. And and the reason that I would say I'm a little bit more concerned because, look, some people would say, hey, that was a look at last year's squad. This was just a whiff in recruiting. He'll get it back and turn around next year. Big reason for last last year's success was Kobe Brown, who's in the NBA with the L.A., I think, Clippers, if I'm not Mm -hmm. mistaken. And Kobe Brown, though, give credit to Dennis Gates, who kept him on board once he came in as the new head coach. That was not a Dennis Gates recruit. And though a lot he did bring in a lot of transfers that did have some success, I, I think what you saw was, hey, they had success because they had a guy that they could rely on. You know, when you have that one-star player in college basketball, really at any any level of basketball, you can rely heavily on that guy. And then those complementary pieces, the focus isn't as much on them, and they can they can thrive. They can succeed a little bit more. 
And I think what we saw from last year's squad was, hey, that was all Kobe Brown. And though, yes, some would say, I think there is some truth to give credit to Dennis Gates in developing him in his final year under control of him. Man, now without Kobe Brown, he wasn't able to get, nobody was able to take the reins. He wasn't able to recruit somebody that could come in and take the reins from Kobe Brown. And this recruiting class has been a major whiff. They have but anything but complimentary pieces on this roster if they bring in somebody that is a big-time scorer. So I would say after this whiff, and considering Kobe Brown wasn't one of his that he brought in in his first year, I would say I'm very concerned that he will not be able to turn this around. Now, I'm not going to say like right now, like after next year, he's going to be fired. But I would say on a scale of 1 to 10, I'm probably at a 7 in, in my level of concern it, for Dennis Gates. It's reasonable. I mean, you, you look at the teams that have gone winless in conference play, and there, there's no guarantee that Missouri's going to go winless this year, but it is something that at this I'll point is on it. the table. I wasn't willing to discuss it. I, I scoffed at the notion when T-Bone brought this up in the <laughs> office last week. I was like, we don't even need to talk about it. They'll beat one of Arkansas or Vandy. They're not a good team, and I'm not trying to convince you that they are, but they'll beat one of those two teams. And then they lost to both, and they lost to both convincingly. So now it's worth at least discussing over the last 20 seasons there are nine power six teams that have done this where they went winless in conference play and the acc it was pittsburgh and boston college and the big east georgetown did this a couple of times depaul has done it nobody's done it in the big 10 in the last 20 seasons iowa state did this in the covid year in 2020 texas uh, tcu texas a&m also did it oregon state has done it once vandy's done it once that's it that's the entire list of the teams at any point hell kim anderson didn't go winless in conference play while he was the head coach at missouri now now so of those teams that did it over the last 20 years five got fired after that season five of the coaches of the nine teams that did it in the last 20 years got fired after the season two of them were fired one year later one of them made it two years and then there was one other coach that made it four seasons he had four seasons at boston college it was jim christian none of them went on to go to the ncaa tournament at that school in the last 20 years so what does that mean he is fighting history dude if he goes winless dennis gates at missouri this season in conference play you've got to get it back on track next year or he might get fired That sounds crazy coming off of the season that he had a year ago, but you don't want to become the next Oklahoma State. Where Oklahoma State had one really good season under their current head coach. It was like year one of his tenure, had a nice recruiting class, kind of similar to Missouri, and then it's gone off of the rails completely. You don't want to be the next Kenny Payne, where Louisville is in like a historic rut right now. And this is a program that has been great. They've got history. It matters at Louisville. This is not like Vanderbilt. And they have not fired him yet. They will fire him after the season, and they'll get a good coach in there, and it'll get turned around eventually. But you don't want to become irrelevant again. You have that potential if things go off of the rails again next season. Right now, there's still hope. There's still optimism. Right now, it's just a one-off. But Dennis Gates needs to get this turned around. He needs to bring back like three or four of these kids, and then this offseason, completely overhaul the roster again. That's what it's going to require for him to be able to get this thing back on the track. So my concern level is at like a five. It was at a two earlier this season. I'm at about a five right now. I'm not screaming the alarm bells or anything like that. But, man, this is this is real. Like, this is historic in nature. And if he's not able to get at least one of these things, it shouldn't feel a lot different. One win in conference play versus zero, but it does. Yeah. Like, you've got to have something to point to by the end of the season if you're Dennis Gates. He won't get fired either way, 
But man, it, it is ugly right now. You need some sort of tangible outcome, a win or two down the stretch. I agree. And BK, to your point about the roster being overhauled, for all intents and purposes, it's going to be. When you think about the outgoing class, be. you have so many guys having basically gone through all the eligibility. East isn't coming back. Carter in all likelihood not coming back. And the optimism comes, I think, at least from an objective standpoint, because you do have by any measure, regardless of the service that you choose to use, a top two to top five recruiting class coming in. Now, having having said that, that, here's the thing. You have to coach them up. You have to assemble all these disparate pieces into a unit. And the first half of next season is going to be very trying in that regard. To to answer your question, T-Bone, can you sell that? No. And it's not because I don't believe in Dennis Gates as a coach, but it's because Jordan Butler was a big-time recruit. Trent Pierce was a big-time recruit. Ant Robinson was a big-time recruit. Kurt Lewis, Lewis was the best JUCO player in the country. No, man, I don't want to hear about the recruits. You got to go to the portal. The portal is how you fix things in one season. It is also how you get into a rut where you are now winless in conference play. If you get it wrong in the portal, you're playing portal roulette. If you get it wrong, you're screwed. But the high school recruiting is how you sustain it. The high school recruiting like Jordan Butler, Trent Pierce, Ant Robinson, those are guys that if they get this thing back on track next year, they will be the future of the program. They will be the guys that allow it to sustain beyond just the 2024 season. The same thing will be true of next year's class with the five guys that they're bringing in. Four of them are at least a four star or above. If those guys end up two, three years down the road becoming good players, it will be in part because this upcoming year they hit it right on the portal. But this is don't get it twisted all about him hitting in the portal this offseason. He has got to hit it hard. He has got to get his first options instead of his third, fourth, fifth options. One of the big things that went awry this year, they got it wrong with the big man. They got it wrong. They went after a couple of guys that they thought they were going to get, and they missed. And when they missed, they had to keep going down that board of, okay, who are our top options? And they got to a place where they were uncomfortable with, and now they don't have one. And I think for me, my biggest concern, because I think the dude can coach offense. I think this year they just don't have offensive talent. My concern is the defense. If you look at the way they're playing defensively this year, it is technically better than what they did a year ago by efficiency metrics. That doesn't mean it's good. It is still like below 100th in the country in defensive efficiency. If they don't get that thing turned around, he's just never going to be able to be a guy that gets you deep into a tournament because you can't win consistently that way. It is so incredibly hard to do. They had to have an elite-level offense that last year to be able to mask their deficiencies defensively. It, they need to hit the portal, get dudes that can defend, and then I got to see him coach it up. And if he doesn't, then we're going to have some serious questions coming off of next season. All right, coming up next, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service X line. Questions and answers here on 101 ESPN. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. 
Got your happy price, Priceline. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. 399-9646 is the air comfort service text line for questions and answers in about 10 minutes or so we're going to talk about nolan arenado and paul goldschmidt's plate place in the lore of cardinals greats and can you win if your best players aren't your best leaders we'll get into all of that coming up here in just a little bit but right now 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service text line from the 636 guys do you think that steve spagnolo should be the chief's next coach whenever it is that andy reed decides to retire so I'm firm on this, and it's not even about, like, specifically the Chiefs. I think there are some guys that are just great coordinators. And when you put them into that role as being the head coach, for whatever reason, it's just too much. And I think Steve Spagnuolo is one of those guys. I think he's just a great coordinator. And it's not a shot against him. It doesn't mean that he's any less than of a coach. In fact, for, I mean, to some level, like, it means that you're so excellent at the one thing you're asked to do. I don't want you doing more. I just want you focused on that. And I think that's where it is for me with Steve Spagnuolo. He got his opportunity to be a head coach. It didn't go well, and now he's a coordinator. So I, I think he fits into that that role to me. Like, I think Josh McDaniels is a really good coordinator. I think he's a horrific head coach that loses his damn mind when he's put into that capacity. I, I think Steve Spagnuolo, while not being as bad of a head coach as McDaniels is, because at least he's likable, he's just a coordinator. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. So I, I, I would say no. I, don't, I wouldn't say that he'd be the next guy. And he's, like... He's not as old as Andy Reid, but he's 64 years old. So oh, like, yeah. I, I don't know how much longer he wants to do this either. He's getting up there in age as well. So I, I would say no, but I totally agree with you that some guys are better off as coordinators. I mean, I think the most recent example of this is Brandon Staley. I, I would hire Brandon Staley in a heartbeat to be my defensive coordinator. But as you saw, he just cannot do it as a head coach. Yep. So I, I totally agree with everything that you just said. It's too simplistic to say, oh, he found his niche because he's truly one of the best to ever do it at the position. If we were talking about a decade ago, maybe early 50s, perhaps you have a different take. 211 career winning percentage as a head coach. He's truly, it seems, by all accounts, at peace with this. Keep excelling in that spot, man. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service X line from the 636. BK, can you acknowledge the graveyard, please? You guys can watch us on YouTube, youtube.com slash 101 ESPN STL. The studio cams are powered by the Air Alliance team. That's what they've named themselves, T-Bone. Our chat the over on the YouTube is the graveyard. And man, they are vicious. If you want to go get involved with them, God bless you. Um... I went home after the show on Friday, and I had to sit to myself for a little while. I, my baby boy, Luca, is sitting over there. He's playing with his toys. You know, he's got his blocks on one side. He's got his teethers on another. He's got his train in front of him. He's, like, moving the wheels now. That's oh, his that's big fun. thing where he just sits there and goes, let me let me just move these wheels a little. <laughs> and I'm just sitting there processing my thoughts of, hot damn, the, the graveyard really dislikes our show. I'm <laughs> trying to internalize what does that mean. And the reality is, T-Bone, you just can't please everybody. Sometimes that's the way it works. So if you guys want to go get involved, yeah, I'll, I'll acknowledge the graveyard. The graveyard is over in the YouTube chat, youtube.com slash 101ESPNSTL. Yeah, all right, yeah. Go join the graveyard. <laughs> dot, dot, dot. All right, let's continue here from the 636. BK, did you see the massive donation to Mizzou Athletics? What are your thoughts? Uh, we'll get into this a little bit more later on in the 12 o'clock hour. I did see the donation. It is $50 million going towards the stadium project and another $12 million that is directly being allocated to Mizzou's NIL fund. My thoughts are this. 
I don't care about the stadium fund. That's stuff that's been happening for years. Every school in the country asks its fundraising arm to get as much money as possible for the stadium and other facility upgrades. Having the ability to have somebody hand you $12 million to spend on your roster is unbelievable. Like, I never in a million years thought we would get to this place. I didn't think this was going to be a sustainable way to operate in college football, and maybe it's not. There are teams, according to reports, that are spending, like good teams, great teams, in fact, roughly $12 million on their roster for the 2024 calendar year. Mizzou just got that in one fell swoop with one donor. So if they want a player, they can go get that player. And that's just sending in basically a slush fund now. So like if you're Dennis Gates and you're going to the portal this offseason for the basketball program and you're talking to Desiree Reed Francois, the conversation should go something like this, T-Bone. Desiree Reed Francois to Dennis Gates. Go get the players. We'll figure out the money. And that's it. Whatever the money is that's necessary, go get like three of the top 10 players in the country that are available this offseason and go get a good team. That that has to be the way that this goes. So, yeah, I, those are my thoughts on it, basically, is Missouri just had something that can revamp the basketball program in one offseason and will continue to fund what is a very good football program right now. Yeah, it's an incredible donation. And, and you're right. I didn't think we'd get to this point in college sports where it'd be just like basically the way it operates now is there's money it's like when you see mom's purse you can just walk up and if you want to take money out of it it's like it's wide open now you know so i it, it's an incredible na- donation for the mizzou program and the nil because you're right the, the stadium one doesn't matter it's all about the nil to help you recruit and get players in so good for mizzou i can't wait to see who the big donor is to help us Illini fans out Go get us the next great basketball team when this one graduates from Brad Underwood. I will leave this here and move on. The number of 12 million, more than double the previous gift record. Pretty nice. Pretty darn good. All right, a couple more quickies here from the 314. BK, do you think Bobby Witt Jr. will sign an extension with the Royals, or does he actually want to win? First of all, I resent that. Second of all, my expectation is that he's going to sign an extension, and it's going to be for a massive amount of money. The ownership is trying to prove to Kansas City that they care about winning. Because they want a new stadium. They found out that's just now important? Yeah, well, this is the new ownership group. They've only been in place for a few years, to, to be fair. Um, they, I think they're going to sign Bobby Wood Jr. I think he's going to sign a massive long-term extension to stay in Kansas City. I think he really likes it there. And they're putting together the AL yeah, Central is much yeah, like the NL say. Central. I want to say this on the front end. The Royals should be like an 81 team this year. Which is a pretty damn good improvement given what they had this offseason. Would you rather have the offseason pitching-wise that the Royals had, rotation-wise, or the one that the Cardinals had? The Royals got Seth Lugo, Michael Waka, and what is the other arm that I'm missing right now? Edit Stratton in the pin, right? But yeah, yeah, one of the most active offseasons. I would still say Cardinals because at least they signed a number one. I I look at the Royals, I go, that's like toothpicks and bubble gum that's out there no thanks so i i I do think he's going to eventually resign uh in kansas city and be extended by kansas city i I know bobby's a big fan of the show so bobby wood jr i know we had his dad on at one point we did uh i think it may have been the danny mack show with bk Uh, i would advise to hold off on that contract extension until you see them actually build a winner and then i would be more reluctant to sign the dotted line all right last thing here t-bone do you like your Illini basketball team i love this team They can move on. They're really good. They they should be a elite eight, and I think they can get to the final four. This is the best team Brett Underwood has had, I believe. 
according to the text line, Bobby Wood Jr. literally just signed an extension. What? There it is. Bobby Wood Jr. signed an extension. I was told this offseason that this was going to happen. 11 years, $289 million. What a All mistake. Right. We got to change our next segment. What? If I told you right now, Jordan Walker wants a deal, 11 years, $250 million. Are you the Cardinals interested in signing such a deal? Bobby Wood Jr., that is what he just did. Shortstop for the Kansas City Royals, a phenom. One of the faces, it, he is the face of the franchise. He's taken that over from Salvador Perez in terms of like the best player on the team. He is a potential superstar the way that Jordan Walker is a potential superstar for the Cardinals. If he came to the Cardinals today and said, you know what, I'm not as proven yet at the big league level as Bobby Wood Jr. is, but I will take an 11-year deal worth $40 million less than Bobby Wood Jr. 11 years, $250 million. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. You guys can check us out on YouTube, youtube.com slash 101ESPNSTL, and the mic drop feature is on the 101ESPN app. Go over to the 101ESPN app, send us a mic drop, or if you would prefer, you can leave us a voicemail at 314-399-9646. That's a super easy way for us to get to them quickly. The voicemail, just call us, 314-399-9646. That'll go to the voicemail box as well. Would you do that? 11 years, $250 million for Jordan Walker. T-Bone will give you his answer. I'll give you mine. We'll get into that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. So there's big news in Major League Baseball for one of the best young players in the sport. Bobby Witt Jr. is going to sign an extension with the Kansas City Royals that will tie him to Kansas City for at least the next seven years. We are starting to get more of the details on this. And T-Bone, as we read them, it essentially is a seven-year, $148 million contract that is fully guaranteed. And then after that, you've got player opt-outs at every season from... 2020 or excuse me 2030 and beyond so 2030 31 32 and 33 at any point he can either opt out or renegotiate the deal essentially it serves as a what was the the way that nolan arenado's agent joel wolf said this it's a it's a shield not a sword yeah that's what this is for bobby witt jr and his family if they decide after the next seven seasons you know what Maybe there's better opportunities for us elsewhere. They can go ahead and take those opportunities. Or if they decide, hey, the market has changed so much, so wildly since we signed this deal, we are deserving of more now. They can go ahead and do that as well. But it provides security to him and that he can also just lock in the money. He's a young player that is one of the best players in the sport. And now you've got an opportunity uh, to have these years tied up. Now, for those curious what did this mean for him in terms of how many years he bought out of arbitration t-bone this was going to be a second year of pre-arb eligibility so he bought out five years essentially of the arbitration plus pre-arb so he got another three years um on this deal that is another year from where we are right now with jordan walker so jordan walker's contract would very likely be for less than what Bobby Witt Jr. just signed for. If I told you, though, that he'd be willing to accept the deal, the guarantees that Bobby Witt Jr. was just given, seven years, essentially $150 million, and he called the Cardinals and said, hey, Bobby Witt Jr. just put together the framework. I would like to start talking. 
about a potential long-term partnership for both sides. Is that something that you would want to explore? The mic drop features on the 101 ESPN app. You can go ahead and go over there. Send us your thoughts on the potential of extending Jordan Walker. We also have the voicemail box as well. 314-399-9646. You can text there or you can call. Leave us a voicemail with your thoughts as well. T-Bone, what would you think about this possibility? I I think I would do it for Jordan Walker on on those terms that you just laid out because I I think Jordan Walker, just like Bobby Wood Jr., who is going to be the face of the Kansas City Royals, honestly, potentially the face of the American League or one of the faces of the American League for the next seven years of that contract. I think Jordan Walker has the same potential for the Cardinals and the National League or at minimum the National League Central. Now, granted, that doesn't say a lot about that division, but I mean, you look at Jordan Walker's rookie year numbers in his 117 games. He was better than what Bobby Wood Jr. was in 150 games in his rookie year in 2022. Now, Bobby Wood Jr., was better this year offensively. He was 20% above league average. Walker was 14% above league average. So he basically fell right in between of what the rookie year was, Bobby Wood Jr. was, and his second year was. Yeah. And I think he's going to take off in his second year just like Bobby Wood Jr. did. So if if I'm the St. Louis Cardinals, I I know there are some questions like about his defense, and I, I've seen that some people want to wait on to see if his defense developed before handing him a contract. Man, he's so athletic, and I saw enough improvement last year at the back end of the season to say yeah he's going to put in the work ethic he's going to be willing to go fix the defense and at minimum get himself slightly above league average I don't do this often I I would not I don't sign contract extensions often because I think it's best to just play out the process Jordan Walker is different though Jordan Walker is the guy that I would sign to that contract extension and those numbers that you said I'm the Cardinals I would call up Jordan Walker and say hey how much how much interest would you have in doing kind of what Bobby Wood Jr. just did I think I'd do it too. It is risky. And this is something people don't bring up enough probably. T-Bone, I know you've been at the forefront of this with what the Braves have done. There's a lot of risk involved with that. If you end up being wrong on a player, like if Jordan Walker just doesn't improve defensively, if he is a total liability defensively, and he doesn't get significantly better offensively, you're basically signing Cardinals Marcelo Zuna to a long-term deal worth $150 million. He's not worth that. But if you're right, and Jordan Walker ends up becoming what we all think he could be, what you could be getting is one of the 10 to 15 most valuable players in the sport in terms of position player side of things, and you're getting him at a well below market value rate. And this is why I think sometimes people underestimate how good these long-term deals can be as well, Look at that Bryce Harper deal. A few years ago, that was seen as a potential arbitrage contract for the uh, Phillies. Now it's seen as one of the most team-friendly deals in Major League Baseball. And the reason why is because years happen. Time happened. And Bryce Harper's going, I want more money. Yeah, like Patrick Mahomes. He signed that massive contract, and I remember talking to Jamie about it at the time. It was the Ribs and BK show. And he was like, hey, you know, this is going to be something that is really hard to build around. And, and history suggested he was correct. Like, this is the first time that a the highest paid salary on a team in terms of the cap hit was the quarterback going into the Super Bowl. Mahomes has altered what we think is possible with a highly paid NFL quarterback. But now that contract is seen as a, a deal, a steal, in fact, because all of the other salaries continue to rise around Mahomes. So if you've got Jordan Walker locked in and we continue to see this boost in the money around the sport, 
it, it makes a lot of sense that it would actually be considered a really good negotiation by the Cardinals to get that done up front instead of waiting. I would do it. I think it's the smart thing to do to get these guys locked in when they're stars. The reason why I wouldn't do it with many of the players that the Cardinals have developed in the past, they weren't stars. They were just good. Complimentary pieces. Yeah, they, like, they never outpriced themselves in arbitration. You don't do this with I, I would have done it because it would have been relatively cheap, but you don't go long term with Harrison Bader. You don't go long term with Tommy Edmond or Paul DeYoung. You buy out their arb years, maybe add on a like a club option or two and say, okay, cool, we've got price certainty. The guys you go long term with are Fernando Tatis Jr. or if he would have done it, Manny Machado, Bryce Harper, Jordan Walker, Bobby Witt Jr. So I would think that this is a pretty smart deal for the Cardinals. It does come with risk, though. Let, let's not get away from that. But I will also add this. This is my final thing. And Bradford, if you can put together the list of the names that we've got, so that way we can get to some of the, um, the voicemails and the mic drops as well. We'll get to those here in just a minute. The Royals doing this. Let's everybody know across Major League Baseball, if you're a fan of another team, whether it's the Cardinals or the Padres or the Rockies or any other team in the league, your team, it's not that they can't sign these long-term massive extensions. It's that they don't want to. The Cardinals can't tell you we can't sign Bryce Harper, Manny Machado, Jordan Walker, anybody else that may come through the system. They don't want to. They can do these long-term deals, and it actually makes sense from a financial perspective to do so they are just unwilling if the kansas city bleep and royals can do this dude whoever the team is that you root for whether you're listening here from like milwaukee or the chicago white Sox, whatever whoever you're a fan of even if you're not a fan of the cardinals your team can do this if they're willing yeah and, and to that point and you correct me if i'm wrong but i don't even think like thinking because we're talking long term and i think every, every as you said i agree with you every team can do it thinking short term as well because what's been the theme of the off season is we don't have our tv money i correct me if i'm wrong i don't think the royals have any certainty in their tv deal they i think they're less certainty than the cardinals do right now yeah they're they're in limbo just as much as a lot of these other teams so bally has the rights streaming wise to the royals from what i understand yeah whereas the cardinals still own their streaming rights so like they can explore other opportunities if they want to the royals are in full limbo of like Yo, I don't know where we're going to be on terrestrial television, and I don't know where we're going to be streaming-wise, and yeah. it's all up to Bally. Yeah, and, and I, I think not only that they're a small market team that's able to sign this kind of contract for one of the up-and-coming superstars in the game, but they're able to do it in a year in which they have the TV rights in limbo. Yeah, every team can do this. It, it is a matter of do we actually want to do it. And if I'm the Cardinals, I, I know that they've brought up the question marks about their TV deal. Lock in some certainty on the Jordan Walker salary front for at least the next seven years. And I would include all those opt-outs as well if he wants them, just because that's probably what it would take to get the deal done. The Cardinals should be exploring this option. I think he's the only guy on the roster that is at least worth exploring a contract extension for. How many years would you want? For the Walker deal? Um, I would do... Because the Bobby Witt deal is essentially seven years, $148 million guaranteed. And then if he converts all of his player options, it becomes an 11-year deal worth $288 million. And if the team then exercises all of their three three years of team options on top of his three player options, which is essentially what it is, it becomes a 14-year contract. So they potentially have Bobby Witt under contract until he's like 37 years old, if they (laughs) want to, and if he wants that to be the case. 
How long would you want to go with Jordan Walker? So I would probably go around 10 to 14 years. That That's probably in the area that I would go for the con- like the length of the contract in whole would be 10 to 14 years. I think when you're talking about the options, I would probably say it would take till year eight to where you'd allow player options because it's one more year. He's two years younger than uh, Bobby Wood Jr., so I would say you have to at least hope for like another year plus before you start player options for Jordan Walker. But I would say around that 10 to 14-year range, you could give him player opt-outs around year eight, and it would probably be, like you said, probably around $250 million in terms of what the full amount of the contract deal would be if he does all the opt-ins. Are people underestimating how good Jordan Walker is? Is that is that yeah? Is that what I'm sensing? Because we got this from the three one four guys. Jordan Walker is no Bobby Witt Jr. yet. They have to lock him up and make uh, once he produces on the field the way that Bobby Witt did. Guys, Jordan Walker offensively was pretty damn close last season to Bobby Witt Jr. Like they they were not all that dissimilar in terms of what they produced rel- like on a rate basis, right? Volume, yeah. Bobby Wood Jr. finished the year with 30 home runs and 96 RBIs and 49 stolen bases. You look at all those numbers, they're eye-popping. Trust me, as a Royals fan, it was, it was quite exciting. Um, and he's he's become very good defensively at shortstop. Go look at his numbers defensively, and this was not just a metric thing. This was real based on the eye test as well. In 2022, he was a bad defender, yeah, like a below-league-average defender. And this year, he was borderline gold glove defensively at shortstop. And if you project something similar, and I do, for Jordan Walker, dude, get this done now. Because waiting only puts the price, um, only continues to go up if you continue doing it from here. So I... I think people are underestimating just how great of a rookie season, and maybe we should talk a little bit more about this, Jordan Walker had a year ago. I, I think part of the reason that he gets kind of overlooked is because what what do you mention about the gaudy numbers from Bobby Wood Jr.? Well, he's hitting third in a lineup that, let's just be honest, was playing for nothing all season long. So he can go hit third. He's going to be the face of the franchise. So like when the Royals came to St. Louis, who was it that we talk about? It's Bobby Wood Jr. That was all you talk about. When you talk about the Cardinals, you talk about Paul Goldschmidt. You talk about Nolan Arenado. You talk about Wilson Contreras. You talk about Lars Newbar. Jordan Walker's hitting seventh in this lineup, guys. He's hitting seventh in the lineup because the lineup is so deep. And I think the other reason for this is I, I think there are such unbelievably high expectations for him to be like rookie of the year last year. And then when he doesn't get the rookie of the year, it is, oh, well, he didn't live up to expectations. No, he was as good as advertised last year because he was almost 20% above league average. He was better offensively than Bobby Wood Jr. was in his rookie year. So I, I think he is being undersold by the fan base. I, it would not shock me that next year at some point he's potentially hitting top three in this lineup for the St. Louis Cardinals if they have to make a change because someone is struggling. I'm going to give you a few names. They all have something in common. Vlad Guerrero Jr., Christian Yelich. Um, let's go with Xander Bogarts would be another one that fits into this criteria. Uh, Jared Kelenic, Javi Baez. All of those guys came up, had a rookie year in the big leagues at age 21 or younger and had less offensive production than what Jordan Walker did this past season. Guys that are very similar in terms of what they have produced, and in some ways, depending on which metric you're looking at, uh, were actually worse. Rafael Devers, um, Ozzy Albies, and Wander Franco. We are talking about a player that, based on his offensive profile, just offense, from this past season, 
when you take into account his age, take into account all of the other stuff that goes into this, he had one of the better rookie seasons age-adjusted that we've seen in the last decade offensively. That's the kind of player that we're talking about here. So let's let's not undersell this. Jordan Walker has the potential still that he had this time last year. In fact, I am more confident today than I was at this time last year that Jordan Walker can reach that potential that we're talking about. He's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll get to some of your mic drops on the 101 ESPN app on the other side. If you guys want to get involved, I actually prefer personally the uh, the voicemail box. It is a super easy way for us to get you guys on the air. There's just a couple of hoops that we have to go through if we get it on the mic drop feature. So 314-399-9646 is the voicemail box. Give us a call. Leave, a vo- leave us a voicemail there. We'll get to some of your reaction. Would you consider signing Jordan Walker today to a seven-year, $150 million guaranteed contract the way that the Royals just did with Bobby Witt Jr. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Before I signed Jordan Walker to a huge contract like the Royals just did Bobby Witt, I got to see some numbers like Bobby Witt put up last year. 11 triples, 30 home runs, over 90 RBIs, 49 stolen bases, 28 doubles, and he can play defense. Jordan Walker's got a long way to go before he is actually a budding superstar like Bobby Witt Jr. And that pains me to say that because he's a Kansas City Royal. (laughs) First of all, well played, sir. That was John on the mic drop feature on the 101 ESPN app. If you guys want to get your voices heard, 314-399-9646. You can either text us there or maybe better yet, give us a call. Go ahead and leave us a voicemail there. It's super easy for us to be able to convert. Play Play it on the air for you. So just say your name over there and then give us your thoughts. We'll get to those coming up here in just a little bit. I guess where I would disagree with John T-Bone is I think that Jordan Walker is being undersold here. If you look at his numbers last year, sure, if you look at the totals, they don't match up against Bobby Witt Jr., but he didn't play 160 games the way that Bobby Witt Jr. did. He played 117 at the big league level. Now, some of that was his fault because he he had the weird, um, wasn't hitting the ball in the air as much early on the season, so he had to be sent down. But if you look at what he did, after coming back up to the big league level post June 1st T-Bone, he was on pace for 27 doubles, 23 home runs and 67 RBIs with an OPS of 800. 
Yeah. That's freaking awesome. Yeah. As a 21-year-old who's coming up for the first time to the big league level and was probably, let's be honest, a year ahead of schedule for the Cardinals, that is star-level stuff, man. It is. You don't do that at that age and then just become some nobody moving forward. And none of it was like, none of it was smoke and mirrors. Sometimes you'll see a guy that, like a lead Miss Diaz, who comes up and it's like, oh my God, is this guy for real? And then you look at some of the underlying numbers, you're like, no, okay, that, that wasn't real. But he can be a solid contributor at the big league level. Walker was real. Walker hits the ball as hard as just about anybody in the sport. And he is a dude that you can build around for the next decade. So, yeah, I would do with Jordan Walker what the Royals did today with Bobby Wood Jr., which is making him one of the highest paid young players in the history of Major League Baseball. I would do that. Yeah, I, I would, too. And, and the big reason for the Gotti numbers that was mentioned there in the mic drop about Bobby Wood Jr., I, I just looked this up. Bobby Wood Jr., 99 of those games that he played last year of the 160, he batted second. The other, And 43 of those, he hit leadoff. So he was hitting at the top two spots in the order for the most part. And you look at Jordan Walker, and this wasn't because, hey, Jordan Walker wasn't very good. It was because, A, the Cardinals didn't want to put a ton of pressure on him, and, B, their lineup is just deep. Jordan Walker's 27 games batting sixth, 29 games batting seventh, 31 games batting eighth. So most of his games when he was in the lineup, he was hitting the bottom part of the order in the sixth, seventh, or eighth spot. Well, when you're hitting 6th, 7th, and 8th, you're not going to have an opportunity to drive home a ton of runs. And now, the home run power, he'll I think he's going to grow into more. Like, I wouldn't be shocked if he could potentially be able to hit, you know, 25 home runs this year would be what I would say, 25 home runs from Jordan Walker. And if that's the case, his RBI total is going to go up. But the reason those numbers aren't got and why I say you should be looking at, like, OPS, if you're batting average person, heck, look at batting average. His batting average was good. is because he was hitting and lower in the order. So the home runs, the RBIs, he's not going to have a ton of opportunities to drive in runs. So I, I would say lock him into a contract extension because the other peripherals. Pro- yeah, that's the word. Yeah, thank you. Those are really good and stack up with Bobby Wood Jr., and that's why I would tie him to a contract extension. So the other thing that I would bring up here is – if you want to wait, it gets more expensive. Yeah. The longer you wait, the more certainty that you have with the contracts, the more certainty Jordan Walker has to bet on himself. Like, if I'm Walker and I'm his representation, I'll talk now. Give me another year. Let's see what it looks like whenever he has hit 30 home runs and did get to a, if not an all-star game, borderline all-star level performance and does show you I'm not just improved defensively. Hey, now I'm, I'm actually pretty good defensively. If you start getting to that place with Jordan Walker after this upcoming season, now we're talking about like rarefied air in terms of the kind of contracts that he can command. Right now, there is still uncertainty that would be baked into the negotiation. My guess is he would not get these numbers that Bobby Witt Jr. just got because Witt did all of the things that you guys are talking about right now, which is he hit the 30 home runs. He did show that he was an improved defender. This time last year, what would have got less money? Maybe you're talking about eight years and $148 million. So you get an extra year on the deal for the same amount of money. So that AAV is significantly less for the Cardinals than it is right now for the Kansas City Royals. Maybe instead of being 11 years and $288 million like it is for Bobby Wood Jr., maybe it's 11 years and $225 million for the Cardinals. That's the kind of thing that you get. But if you wait... The price continues to increase with every home run that he hits this year, with every fly ball that he tracks better than he did a year ago, the cost of business continues to go up. Yes, that is scary. 
it is also something that other teams across Major League Baseball are doing, and they're doing it for a reason. The Atlanta Braves, who everybody on our text line brings up as the model organization in the National League, they would extend Jordan Walker this offseason. That yeah. would be their move. Their move, honestly, would be extend Jordan Walker, extend Lars Newpar, extend Brendan Donovan. Let's see on Nolan Gorman. We think he's going to be a part of our core. Let's find out a little longer on him. But those other three guys, we know they're pieces of our core. Let's go ahead and extend them right now. And you know what else they would do? They might even talk to Victor Scott right now. Before he ever plays a game in the major leagues, they might talk to Mason Wynn right now. So that's the kind of aggressive approach that they take because it locks them in on super below market value deals if and when they're right on their prospect evaluations. Now, the Cardinals also might have locked up Dylan Carlson a couple of years ago under this idea, and that would have been a problem. <laughs> but yeah. you win some, you lose some. And you hope that you come out and you end up with more of the wins than you do the losses. And if you do, you got good contracts on your books. All right, let's go back out uh, to the voicemail box, 314-399-9646. What do you guys think about Jordan Walker, his future here in St. Louis? Would you want to extend him right now the way that the Royals did with Bobby Witt Jr.? This one came from the 636. I would extend Jordan Walker as soon as I see some progress this next year. Can't end up with a situation like the Blues have with Jordan Tiger when you're like, I don't know if we want to keep him because he's not gonna he's not playing defense. I think we see Jordan Walker taking steps forward on defense and on offense to be to know that he's he's going to pan out. Otherwise, I don't want to end up with a situation like Wander Franco where you can't stay healthy and you've got this big contract and it ends up being a bust. Well, Franco's issues are, to be fair, not are, are not health related. His issues are legally, um, and that's I, Ken Rosenthal had a piece on this the other day about how. You shouldn't lock up young players because you don't know what the future is going to hold. And he used Wander Franco as an example. I, I love Ken Rosenthal. I thought that was just a totally misguided piece, and he missed the mark on that one. I, Wander Franco is a total outlier here. Now, there were legitimate questions, not off-field from what I understand about Wander Franco, but on-field. He was benched from his team because of on-field issues. None of that exists with Jordan Walker. Yeah. Everything you hear on the field and off the field, baseball character-wise, just regular character-wise, Jordan Walker is exactly who you would want as a key member of your organization for the next decade. I have none of those concerns about Walker the way that many did about Wander Franco. Yeah, same same here. And now, to the defensive point, because I think that's the biggest holdup from everybody sure. is the defense. I, I would say this to the point on Jordan Cairo. When, when I see Jordan Walker this year, you agree that from like August to the end of the season, defensively you thought he was better than where he was at the start. Would you say he was average at, at, in the outfield by the end yes. of the season? Okay, now – I'm going to go back to Jordan Cairo before he signed that contract extension. Did you ever see Jordan Cairo take steps in his defensive game before he got his contract extension? I would say no. I think this is the first year you've actually seen Cairo take steps in his defensive game to kind of. Last year you saw a little bit, but maybe a little bit, but he'd already had the contract. Exactly. What I'm trying to say is I've already seen Jordan Walker start to take steps towards being an average outfielder defensively and knowing the work that Willie McGee's putting him through based on our conversations with Ali Marmol before games and what they are doing with him before games as well with his defensive work I think he's going to be better this year defensively and I think seeing him improve defensively last year in the final two months was enough for me to go man I saw the bat if you want to question the bat because he doesn't have 30 home runs look that's going to come and I think the RBI total will come once he gets up into the order when the Cardinals need him to bat like top three top four 
I saw the offensive numbers. He hits the ball really hard, and I saw him improve defensively, and I would say he's going to continue to improve defensively. Now, will he be a gold glover? I I don't know. That That's still left out to be. But can he be above average defensively in right field? Yeah, I think he can. He's got a cannon of an arm out there as well. So I would say that's not as much a concern for me, and that's why I'm more willing to do this a contract extension. I have more confidence right now at this point in Jordan Walker's career of him becoming a star for the Cardinals than I did when Robert Thomas or Jordan Cairo signed their extensions with the Blues that they would become stars for their team. And that's because I've seen more already at this point in his career with Walker both on and off the field, honestly than I had seen at that point from Kyrou and Thomas. I didn't mind the extensions. I would I, I was actually on the front end saying, I think the Blues did a really smart thing here. I liked the extensions for both Thomas and Kyrou. I still feel like they've got good good deals with both of them, and I'm on an island there. I, I feel even more confident about this with Jordan Walker than I did with those two guys. All right, let's get one more of these, and then we'll get some more of them coming up on the other side as well. We got one more from the 636 voicemail, 314-399-9646. If you guys want to give your thoughts, Jordan Walker, would you extend him for the Cardinals the way Bobby Witt Jr. was just extended from the Royals? One thing that you have to consider with the Royals, the Royals have a financial interest in keeping interest in the franchise alive because they're building, or they want to build, a new stadium. So there, the financial incentive to spend um, is is there, not only for uh, free agents they just signed, but also for uh, free agents they want of their own that they want to keep, like Wit, um, and and buying him out of of his arbitration. So there you go. So I agree with that. I would also argue the Cardinals are incentivized to do the same thing. It's not about a stadium conversation for them. It's about winning over your fan base. Dude, when we get I and mean, we got the text line, right? We've got the YouTube chat, youtube.com slash one oh one ESPN STL. They've got the graveyard over there. If you guys want to get in there, they are always very happy to talk with anybody that wants to be sad about the St. Louis Cardinals. True. Dude, people are mad at this team. I heard Derek Gould, he was on a podcast over the week and the best podcast in baseball. He's been the Cardinals beat writer for the St. Louis Post Dispatch for twenty years. He has never seen the fan base like this. Now, some of that is because, I mean, look at the success of the fan base. What do they have to be mad about, comparatively speaking? But the last six years have led to a logical endpoint of, dude, this fan base is furious. And they're sick of the same old way that the team is operating. This wouldn't be the same old Cardinals. Them going out and making an aggressive, urgent move to lock up one of the most exciting young players that you've had in the last decade, that that would be different. That would be. Now, you can point to the extensions that they do every offseason where they they were able to extend, you know, Miles Michaelis early on. They extended Matt Carpenter not once but twice, unfortunately. They've done a lot of these over the years. This would not be like those. Those were cheap, below-market-value deals where they're buying out arbitration numbers. This would be making him one of the highest-paid players in baseball. That's a massive gap between, like, the Colton Wong deal and what you're doing with Jordan Walker, where you're making him a franchise icon. So I think there is some value in that as well. And you don't just do it because of that, but it's a potentially positive byproduct of extending one of your best young players that you've had in a decade. All right, we got some more of those voicemails coming in. 314-399-9646. We'll hear more from you coming up on the other side. Would you extend Jordan Walker if you were in John Mosaylock's shoes? Next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I mean, if we're talking about Jordan Walker, the way you're talking about Bobby Witt, I think you have to compare a lot of different things. And 
when you look at just a simple game of swing and hit the ball, Jordan Walker's got a ton of swing and miss in that swing. And I mean, this guy struck out over 100 times. You're saying he didn't play much. And not to mention, you know how many times down the stretch the Cardinals were facing teams sixth, seventh, eighth best reliever, and Jordan Walker's getting a plenty plentiful of bats off these guys, and then you're going to compare their numbers to him. Now, I get it different, but, I mean, he's not competing every day last year like he will be in the future, and when he's facing the aces and best guys out of the 10, I mean, these numbers aren't going to be close. I totally disagree with almost everything that was said in that mic drop. 101 ESPN, this is BK and Ferrario. Jordan Walker last year had a 22% strikeout rate, which was awesome. If you have a 21-year-old that has a 22% strikeout rate, and by the way, he had a pretty good walk rate as well, you're in a good spot. You guys agree, right? Xander Bogart's pretty good player, doesn't strike out a ton, right? Yep. Good hitter? Yep. Consistently 290 or above? Yep. Xander Bogart's in year one had a worse strikeout rate than Jordan Walker did this past season. Other guys that fit into that criteria, Rafael Devers, 24% strikeout rate. Christian Yelich, 24% strikeout rate. Mike Lairs, 24% strikeout rate. Ronald Ablepin Cunha Jr., Julio Rodriguez, Cody Bellinger, all these guys, all had a higher strikeout rate in their first years as a pro than Jordan Walker did this past season. Strikeout rate is not even a modicum of a concern for me. If you've got concerns about Jordan Walker, it's that he's hit he hits the ball on the ground too often, he doesn't walk quite enough, and defensively he's not good enough. And I think those are the only legitimate concerns right now about Walker. Like, he hits the ball incredibly hard. It's just on the ground too much. When he gets to the ball, when he tracks it well in the outfield, he has really good speed, really good athleticism, and a cannon of an arm. He just doesn't know where it's going half the time. If you can rein in the tools for Jordan Walker, I mean, it's cliche, but the sky is truly the limit for this kid. It's like Aaron Judge, in terms of his size and athleticism in the outfield, but with Vlad Guerrero Jr.'s approach at the plate, if you can combine those two players, that's kind of who they hope Jordan Walker can be. And I'm not trying to like overemphasize his future because I don't know if he's going to reach that full potential. I don't know. But this is why you resign him. It's why you extend him is because he has that as a potential range of outcome. So I could not disagree with the voicemail anymore. I do appreciate you uh, sending it in. 314-399-9646 is the place to do so. Give us a call. Leave us a voicemail. Would you extend Jordan Walker? The conversation today is based on Bobby Witt Jr., one of the best young players in baseball, getting a guaranteed seven-year, $148 million contract from the Kansas City Royals. That buys out all of his arbitration years. It goes through the 2030 season. If he then doesn't opt out of the deal it becomes an 11-year contract worth 288 million dollars if then after that the royals say you know what we'd like to tack on two more years with club options it can become a 14-year 377 million dollar contract in total that is the potential outlay for the deal T-Bone, we've been talking about this for a little while now for anybody that's just tuning in your elevator pitch on whether you would give not those numbers, but a long-term extension to Jordan Walker is what? I, I would say you do it because I, I everything that you said about his tools, about rounding out his tools, I, he hits the ball hard. He has the plate approach. I, I know that, that Mike Drop mentioned strikeout percent, like strikeout rate, but he was right at league average compared to the strikeout percentage. Same with Walk. And I think he's only going to get better. I mean, you mentioned that's his rookie year. 
Because he's going to learn to adjust to Major League Baseball. Now, baseball's going to adjust with him as well. But And I think defensively, you saw him improve to being average last year compared to where he was at the beginning of the year, where it was like, oh, my God, the ball got hit to right field. And you just, like, close your eyes and hope when you open your eyes, he happened to have caught the ball. So I, I think you do it because I think if he round all these tools, as you mentioned, if those kind of get kind of rounded into form and he becomes the complete player that the Cardinals envision, it, I, I think he has the ceiling of what you saw from, and you tell me if you disagree with this, from what you saw in O'Neill's MVP-type season, but he would do it sustainably. I, I think he has all those tools outside of potentially stealing, like, 20 bags. And he doesn't strike out. And he doesn't strike out. Like, I, I think he could become the all-around complete player that they thought O'Neill was going to be, and I think he can do it and be even better than what Tyler O'Neill was. Let's go back out to the voicemails. Uh, let's get to the next one up here, Bradford. Three million defibs like you guys do. Let's try that again. Take yeah, two. I hear a lot about the fan base being angry, but anecdotally, I don't know any Cardinal fans that are willing to give up their season tickets. People that you're hearing from are the, you know, the diehard radio listener type fans, and I just think the average Cardinals fan is just happy to be there. They're going to enjoy the the team, and they want a winner, but. I just don't see the erosion of the three million defibs like you guys do. So I don't see the erosion of it. I don't think that's something that the Cardinals are worried about. They've already said their their ticket sales are on track to be what they have been in previous years. I don't think that's a fair indicator, honestly, in this market of the frustration that fans have with the Cardinals because people just go to the Cardinals games as part of their everyday life. Like it's it's ingrained in our culture in this city when it's winter time. Uh, we decide to go out and we go to Grant's Farm, right? We go to the Botanical Gardens. We go to see all of the lights around the Christmas time of the year. When it's summertime, you go to Cardinals games. That's what you do. Like, what the hell else are we going to do here in St. Louis? We, we got great go food. Arch. We got great beer. And we got Cardinals baseball. Like, if somebody comes into town and it's summertime, you guys are going to take them around. You're probably going to grab some beer somewhere. You're going to go to some really good. Uh, we have an unbelievably underrated food city in St. Louis. Take them to a couple of really good restaurants, and you're going to a Cardinals game. That's what you do here, man. If you're in New York, there's a million other things that you can do. There's Chicago, right? This is, this is not a top five metropolitan city in terms of size. But what we do have here, and it is unique, and it is something very few, maybe no other city in the country can claim, we've got the Cardinals, we've got 40,000 people that are in those stands every single night. It is a event Every single time that you go to the Cardinal Stadium, whether it's mid-June or late August or early April, it's always something that you can go out there and it's family friendly. Like, that is what we do. And so, yeah, you're going to get your three million fans in the stands next year. That is not, in my opinion, though, representative of the frustration that those fans have with the general manager, with the ownership, with the team on the field. T-Bone, I was at the game for Adam Wainwright in his final game ceremony. They booed John Mosaloc at that ceremony. Yeah. That is not something that I have become accustomed to over the years. It's very rare that fans in St. Louis boo somebody that is our own. He won a championship here, and he's getting booed. So there's real frustration with the Cardinals. Deserved frustration coming off of that season. It's just, I don't think it's going to be represented with ticket sales. I don't think that's the way that we can judge it. And so it becomes difficult. You can't judge it on Twitter because those people are always mad. Uh, we can't exclusively judge it on our text line because a lot of them are always mad. 
But when you take everything into account, going to the games, talking to people at your local grocery store, right? Uh, looking at our text line, our YouTube chats, all of these different things, the graveyard, you take it all into account. People are mad. People are frustrated. People are expecting something more. And if it doesn't get turned around this year, I think you're going to see more of that voiced. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And, and I agree that it's kind of tough to judge on ticket sales because I, I think where the frustration has come, and at least what I've seen mostly is, is it's I don't even know if it's so much of how they operate. Like, I, I don't know if some people want them to spend like the Dodgers, but I don't even think that's it. I, I think it is more of how defining winning is now in St. Louis for the Cardinals organization. You know, what? what is the definition of a winning season? For the Cardinals, it's, you know, hell, this year, winning 85 games and winning the NL Central and then making the playoffs and then see what happens. For, I think, a lot of Cardinals fans, they don't really care how you get in the playoffs. They care more about... How do you win in the playoffs? Yeah. And I think that's where there's become this major disconnect between the front office and the Cardinals fan base. And honestly, I would throw Cardinals ownership into that is how do you define what winning is? And I think that's where the biggest split is because I you brought up in our last segment, you know, about the Cardinals 91 loss season last year. And that would be enough urgency for them to do this kind of a contract extension. Well, they didn't show a lot of urgency, in my opinion, in the offseason. Sure, they made a bunch of signings. But they only went after, like, one flashy move. But you could pinpoint Sonny Gray as a Cardinals-type move. He was in that second tier of starters. He wasn't going to make more than $100 million. The equivalent of Wilson Contreras last year. Exactly. An objectively good move, yes. an aggressive yes. move, but it, it fits into the, Made all the Dexter sense in the world. Fowler, Wilson Contreras, like that lane of spending. Exactly. And, and I think, like, you can look at that and you say, man, that's a really good signing. But then the rest of the offseason was just kind of, all right, how do we do the bare minimum to improve from our margins last year. And, and I think that's where you're seeing the disconnect. I don't think it's so much spending as it is how they're kind of defining winning in the front office and from ownership's group compared to what the fan base wants, which is playoff success. Coming up in 10 minutes, we'll continue this conversation. We want to continue hearing from you all. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Is also the way that you can get involved via our voicemail. Give us a call there. It's the same number as the text line, 314-399-9646. That is where you can leave a voicemail on what you would do with the Jordan Walker situation. Coming up next, we're diving into the junk drawer. T-Bone, I have an update on a story that involved an NFL employee that basically went rogue. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. talked about the Jaguars employee that stole $20 million yeah. from the team that ended up using it for this extravagant lifestyle, well, right? What's he up to now? Well, he did so over the course of a few different years, and the Jaguars apparently just, like, didn't really notice that there was a rounding bucks. error up to the court, up to the account of $20 million that had been missing from their bottom line. Jumps change, man. Well, this guy was involved on the business side of the operation for the Jacksonville Jaguars, and apparently we have an update. On what he was using this money for, he was spending, you know, lavishly. He was going on these crazy vacations. He wasn't hiding it, by the way. He was posting on Instagram that he was going over to Europe and Africa. And he had these beautiful watches. He had a sports car. Like, he lived in a, um, a top floor penthouse apartment oh, wow. in the Jacksonville area right over the beach. Like, he was living a nice life. Man. And all of the people that worked for the Jaguars, there's a new story that's come out. They said, hey, I, I knew he was living lavishly. We just assumed that he came from money. Makes sense. Sometimes you meet people and you're like, okay, they 
their parents left them a bunch of cash, right? Trust fund baby. I didn't realize that he was siphoning off $20 million from the organization, and that was the way that he was feeding his spending habits. Well, it wasn't just traveling and buying nice cars and jewelry. He was also apparently, quote, the biggest loser ever on FanDuel, end oh, quote. That's tough. He went by the name Parlay Picker, and apparently he would go in and spend like thousands of dollars on head-to-head -head contests on FanDuel on Sundays. Oh, and he was known as being like the worst daily fantasy player he ended up losing millions, and I mean millions of dollars, on FanDuel. Jeez. So the team, the Jaguars, has now gone to FanDuel, which is a partner of the NFL, by the way, and has gone to them and said, hey, we need you to repay us that money that our employee lost on your site. I didn't know this. Apparently, there are actually laws in place that could help the Jaguars case in this scenario. FanDuel is supposed to, when they get these mass influxes of cash, they are supposed to check in to make sure that that didn't come from the person via illegal or unsightly means. <laughs> and if they had checked that the way that they're apparently supposed to, they would have found that this guy makes like, you know, $60,000 a year or whatever. He's like a mid-level management type of person employee within the Jaguars organization. There's no way that he would be spending, you know, $1,200 on a head-to-head -head contest on a Sunday between he and some other dude from, you know, Boston who's making five million bucks a year and is going head-to-head -head in these contests. So the Jaguars apparently have a legitimate case to be made here against FanDuel that FanDuel should have to repay the team millions of dollars for their employee stealing money from the organization and then immediately depositing, depositing that money into his account to play daily bleeping fantasy. Yeah, I'm at now that you bring that up, I'm actually shocked he didn't get red flags sooner. It's amazing. Because you're right, they would go through that and that's how they catch like, you know, NFL players right. when, they, when they get busted or any professional athlete that gets busted is they will see it and they'll kind of check into it and they'll go, "Oh, hey, not Jamison Williams or J whatever his name is from Detroit." Yeah, that's actually him, and he's not supposed to be doing this. So I'm actually shocked that that didn't get red flagged sooner for that. I'm always shocked by how stupid criminals are. Like, yeah, well, at least he didn't like name his account. Well, who was the college player that had like his name on the on Kayshawn the account? Boutte. Yeah, at least it wasn't that bad. <laughs> who literally named it his name with his number <laughs> as an underaged individual who is not legally allowed to bet. Oh, and he boy. was betting on himself to score in games. It was absolutely incredible. So this guy is in hot water, obviously. He's probably going to prison. But now the, the conversation has shifted to FanDuel versus the Jaguars. And this is not a place that the league likes to be in, where they are having to pit one of their biggest sponsors against a team within the league yeah. and having to play like mediator on, hey, what do we do about these millions of dollars that have been lost on your website? If I'm FanDuel, I wouldn't pay it back. They said they're not paying it back, I saw. I, we'll see. I, there's probably going to be some kind of a settlement that takes place between the league and FanDuel. But, dude, people are genuinely <laughs> stupid. And the way that they operate as criminals, it's, you said it right. The biggest shock here is not that he was caught. It's that it took as long as it did yeah. for him to get caught.
He's Tanner Hendrickson. That's Bradford Bruns. I'm Brandon Kylie. You've got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. So we have some more details on the Bobby Witt Jr. contract extension. Bobby Witt Jr. is going to be making just $2 million this season. Steal. He's going to be making $7 million next year. And then from there, $13 million in 26, $19 million in 27, and he finally starts making some real money in 2028. So basically what the Royals did is they said, you know what? We're going to keep this nice and cheap for us. We're going to buy out your pre-arbitration year that remains this season and then your arbitration. And that entire entire front end of the deal, the first four years, it's like $35, $40 million is what it's going to cost the Royals. $40 million bucks over the first four seasons. That is a totally reasonable contract for the team. But then he starts making real money. So we asked you guys throughout the show today, would you be willing to do for Jordan Walker what the Royals just did for Bobby Witt Jr.? We've given you our thoughts. Our thoughts are basically, absolutely. This is the kind of player that you bet on early in his career. I would do the same thing personally with Brendan Donovan. Now, his would not be this kind of a massive extension. I would do the same thing personally with Mason Wynn. Again, not the same kind of massive extension. The one guy that you have on your team that would be eligible to command this kind of money is Jordan Walker. Would you be willing to do it? 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. You can call us there. Go ahead and leave us a voicemail. We'll get some of those coming up next year on 101 ESPN. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, Everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. talked about the Jaguars employee that stole $20 million yeah. from the team that ended up using it for this extravagant lifestyle, well, right? What's he up to now? Well, he did so over the course of a few different years, and the Jaguars apparently just, like, didn't really notice that there was a rounding bucks. error up to the court, up to the account of $20 million that had been missing from their bottom line. Jumps change, man. Well, this guy was involved on the business side of the operation for the Jacksonville Jaguars, and apparently we have an update on what he was using this money for. He was spending, you know, lavishly. He was going on these crazy vacations. He wasn't hiding it, by the way. He was posting on Instagram that he was going over to Europe and Africa, and he had these beautiful watches. He had a sports car. Like, he lived in a, um, a top floor penthouse apartment oh, wow. in the Jacksonville area right over the beach. Like, he was living a nice life. Man. And all of the people that worked for the Jaguars, there's a new story that's come out. They said, hey, I I knew he was living lavishly. We just assumed that he came from money. Makes sense. Sometimes you meet people and you're like, okay, they, their parents left them a bunch of cash, right? Trust fund, baby. I didn't realize that he was siphoning off $20 million from the organization, and that was the way that he was feeding his spending habits. Well, it wasn't just traveling and buying nice cars and jewelry. He was also apparently, quote, the biggest loser ever on FanDuel, end oh, quote. That's tough. He went by the name Parlay Picker. 
and apparently he would go in and spend like thousands of dollars on head-to-head -head contests on FanDuel on Sundays. Oh, and he was known as being like the worst daily fantasy player. He ended up losing millions, and I mean millions of dollars on FanDuel. Jeez. So the team, the Jaguars, has now gone to FanDuel, which is a partner of the NFL, by the way, and has gone to them and said, hey, we need you to repay us that money that our employee lost on your site. I didn't know this. Apparently, there are actually laws in place that could help the Jaguars case in this scenario. FanDuel is supposed to, when they get these mass influxes of cash, they are supposed to check in to make sure that that didn't come from the person via illegal or unsightly means. <laughs> and if they had checked that the way that they're apparently supposed to, they would have found that this guy makes like, you know, $60,000 a year or whatever. He's like a mid-level management type of person employee within the Jaguars organization. There's no way that he would be spending, you know, $1,200 on a head-to-head -head contest on a Sunday between he and some other dude from, you know, Boston who's making five million bucks a year and is going head-to-head -head in these contests. So the Jaguars apparently have a legitimate case to be made here against FanDuel that FanDuel should have to repay the team millions of dollars for their employee stealing money from the organization and then immediately depositing that money into his account to play daily bleeping fantasy. Yeah, I'm at, now that you bring that up, I'm actually shocked he didn't get red flags sooner. It's amazing. Because you're right, they would go through that, and that's how they catch like you know NFL players right. when, they, when they get busted, or any professional athlete that gets busted, is they will see it, and they'll kind of check into it, and they'll go, oh, hey, not Jamison Williams, or J whatever his name is from Detroit. Yeah, that's actually him, and he's not <laughs> supposed to be doing this. So I'm actually shocked that that didn't get red flagged sooner for that. I'm always shocked by how stupid criminals are. Like, yeah, well, at least he didn't like name his account. Well, who was the college player that had like his name on the on the Kayshawn account? Yeah, at least it wasn't that bad. <laughs> who literally named it his name with his number <laughs> as an underaged individual who is not legally allowed to bet, oh, and he boy. was betting on himself to score in games. It was absolutely incredible. So. This guy is in hot water, obviously. He's probably going to prison. But now the, the conversation has shifted to FanDuel versus the Jaguars. And this is not a place that the league likes to be in, where they are having to pit one of their biggest sponsors against a team within the league yeah. and having to play like mediator on, hey, what do we do about these millions of dollars that have been lost on your website? If I'm FanDuel, I wouldn't pay it back. They said they're not paying it back, I saw. I, we'll see. I, there's probably going to be some kind of a settlement that takes place between the league and FanDuel, but, dude, people are genuinely <laughs> stupid. And the way that they operate as criminals, it's... You said it right. The biggest shock here is not that he was caught. It's that it took as long as it did yeah. for him to get caught. He's Tanner Hendrickson. That's Bradford Bruns. I'm Brandon Kylie. You've got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. So we have some more details on the Bobby Witt Jr. contract extension. Bobby Witt Jr. is going to be making just $2 million this season. Steal. He's going to be making $7 million next year. And then from there, $13 million in 26, $19 million in 27. And he finally starts making some real money in 2028. So basically what the Royals did is they said, you know what? We're going to keep this nice and cheap for us. We're going to buy out your pre-arbitration year that remains this season and then your arbitration. And that entire entire front end of the deal, the first four years, it's like 
35, $40 million is what it's going to cost the Royals. 40 million bucks over the first four seasons. That is a totally reasonable contract for the team. But then he starts making real money. So we asked you guys throughout the show today, would you be willing to do for Jordan Walker what the Royals just did for Bobby Witt Jr.? We've given you our thoughts. Our thoughts are basically absolutely. This is the kind of player that you bet on early in his career. I would do the same thing personally with Brendan Donovan. Now, his would not be this kind of a massive extension. I would do the same thing personally with Mason Wynn. Again, not the same kind of massive extension. The one guy that you have on your team that would be eligible to command this kind of money is Jordan Walker. Would you be willing to do it? 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. You can call us there. Go ahead and leave us a voicemail. We'll get some of those coming up next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Sign this kid. He's going to be a superstar. I met him down at the Blues game. I've never met such a friendly baseball player. He took time with all the fans that wanted a pitcher or just talk to him. Don't be stupid, Cardinals. Get this kid signed. I like that. That's Doug yes. calling in 314-399-9646 is the place to do so. That's where you can call in give us a voicemail. Super easy to get involved in the show. Um, I, I will add to this. On the personal side of things, T-Bone, we've talked to Jordan Walker a number of times. It is jarring how comfortable he is, how smart he is, how honest he is, how thoughtful he is. And I, I'm not like trying to, I'm not, I'm not trying to suck up to the guy or anything. He is one of the most mature 21 year olds I've ever talked to. Like it's almost not in a bad way. It's like off-putting of this guy sounds like he's 35. It's like talking to Jake neighbors. When you yeah. talk to Jake neighbors on the blues, you're like, damn, I, I would bet everything that that guy's going to figure it out. I don't know what he's going to become in the NHL. Now we've seen it. He's, he's a really good player. But even prior to seeing the success this season, sometimes you can just meet somebody and you're like, I don't know how it happens. I don't know how long it's going to take. But that guy's going to get it figured out. I feel that way about Jordan Walker. I don't know what the future is. I don't know how long it's going to take for him to reach his ceiling. But whatever his ceiling is with his capabilities, I'm pretty certain that guy is going to figure it out. And he's going to reach that capability. So... I do think that's a part of it is like, yes, there is the the tools, right? That you look at on the baseball field. He's got a good arm. He's super athletic. He doesn't strike out. He's got the contact tool. He hits the ball as hard as just about anybody in the league. But if you want to get into like the sixth tool that you could have a- as a player, it's the soft skills, the, hey, can he actually apply that stuff? Does he give a you-know-what? Um, is, is he trying? Is he competing? D- does all of that fit into who he is as a person not the player on Jordan Walker whether it's the stuff that you guys see publicly or the stuff that we see privately he checks every one of those boxes as much as any young player that I've been around either here in St. Louis on the Cardinals or when I was in Kansas City with the Kansas City Chiefs yeah I I agree with that 100% because like I I think I've, I've done this for like three or four years and the two guys that have stood out to me that are young players first time meeting them and talking to them I'll never forget Jake Neighbors walking in during prospects camp and I think it was me Alex and Alexa and I remember going oh my god I can't believe this kid's like under 21 years old and he's able to do this because usually when you talk to 
younger players, it, it takes them a couple years to get comfortable with the media because it, it is a lot. And then I'll never forget when we had, I think it was me and Alex, we had Jordan Walker on, on the show when he was in Springfield. And I remember thinking like, okay, I got to have like 20 questions ready because these are going to be short answers. Mm-hmm. It's not, it may not be necessarily completely thought out and just well, well spoken. And I remember going, man, I can't believe this guy's 20 years old and he's in Springfield. He is by far and away really good with the media and all those things that you're talking about behind the scenes and really impressive for someone that is just 22 years old. Somebody said the same thing uh, was true with Mason Wynn in our interview with him. Totally agree. Yeah. Mason Wynn has a lot of those same qualities. Now, they're different. Mason Wynn is like... He's got almost like a little, what would you call it, hype, hype to him? It's like a... Jordan Walker has a quiet confidence to him. Mason Wynn has a swagger to yeah, him. Yeah, swagger. That was what and I was that, that would be the way that I would describe it. It's a slight difference, but it's noticeable. When you're talking to them, like there's there's a swagger in the way that Mason Wynn carries himself. I like it. I am attracted to that kind of a thing from a player. Like that's that speaks to me. But Jordan Walker speaks to everybody. There is nobody that dislikes the way that Jordan Walker presents himself. Like he is just he's got Steph Curry early on, how there was just like this quiet confidence about him. And eventually I think you saw, okay, he's got more of the swagger that Mason Wynn has than what maybe we gave credit to. But he had some of that in him early on. I think Giannis, Giannis had that like quiet confidence where he's just like, uh, for as young as he was, like he almost like felt like he had wisdom uh, that he was sharing with people. That's Walker. And it's more like a swagger that exists within Mason Wynn. It doesn't make either good or bad. It's just a a slight difference between the two and how they present themselves. Let's go back out to the mic drop feature. Let's hear from Vic on whether or not he would extend Jordan Walker. John was right. I don't know what you guys are saying. His hype for (laughs) Walker was he's nowhere near his hype. He was no Albert Pujols. So, I mean, he's not even as good as this Bobby Witt Jr. guy. Just trade the guy and get yourself a pitcher for Walker and um, don't worry about signing, you know, Walker to a deal. He, he can't play defense. Doesn't have all the tools that you guys say. No, I'm not that excited about Jordan Walker. Just if he was that good, just trade him for, a, you know, a top-of-the-line pitcher. Man, me and Vic watched completely different Cardinals baseball <laughs> last year. Because Walker has, A, all the tools. B, I can't scream loud enough like I did earlier this year that you don't trade a Jordan Walker. Um, I, I, he, has every, he has every tool you can imagine, outside of, like, stealing bases. But, like, maybe that ends up coming. I, I, I don't think completely we do, disagree. This, I blame us. I blame us. This is on us. I'll blame you. Not you. Not you like, not you, the listener. This is on us that we didn't do a good enough job of portraying how special Jordan Walker's rookie season really was. Because Vic's right. It wasn't Albert Pujols. That's also an incredibly unfair comparison to make. And it's something that I I know Anthony Stolter has talked about this in the past on the fast lane, and I think he did a good job of it, where he said, hey, any center fielder that the Cardinals get, they're going to immediately be compared to Jim Edmonds. Any third baseman that they get that's good defensively, they're, they're going to be compared immediately to Scott Rowland because that's the most recent excellent player at that position that you're going to be comparing them to any shortstop like Mason Wynn it's there's no way around it he's going to be compared defensively to Ozzie Smith and he's never going to live up to what Ozzie Smith was here in St. Louis because these are all-time greats not just among Cardinals among players like Jim Edmonds is one of the best defensive center fielders we've ever seen in this game Albert Pujols you'll we talked about this the other day T-Bone 
you put up his first 11 years here in St. Louis against any 11-year stretch for any player in the history of this sport, and it it might be the best that we've ever seen. So, no, I, I don't think Jordan Walker is going to be that. And that doesn't speak to Jordan Walker. It speaks to Albert. It speaks yeah. to one of the greatest hitters, not only of this generation, but in the history of baseball. I think Jordan Walker, though, if you compare him to his contemporaries, I mean, I I don't know about you. I would personally sign up for him to be something resembling a better defensive Vlad Guerrero Jr. If I could have that player defensively a little better, plays the outfield and hits, you know, 30 home runs a year, potentially a MVP candidate on any given season, hits in the middle of your order, doesn't strike out a lot. It, like that would be to me a success. Vlad Guerrero Jr. is not Albert Pujols, but he's a damn good baseball player. And if that dude is a part of your build, you're feeling like you're in a pretty good spot. So I, I think that is really, those are the kinds of comparisons that I would have for Walker. He's not Mookie Betts. He's not Albert Pujols. He's not going to go down as one of the best players in the history of, of, of the game, but he can be really good. Yeah, he'll, he'll never be the best player in the sport like Albert was. But he'll always be in the conversation potentially as being, I would think, like a top 30 player in Major League Baseball, top 40. Like when they do those, we see MLB Network and we've talked about this, where they drop those top 10 lists. Like it wouldn't surprise me if every year he's like top five in top 10 right fielders in all of baseball for like the next 10 years. Now, that's not the best player to ever do it. That's no Albert Pujols who sat number one for 11 years. But that's a hell of a baseball player that you draft and develop and that you should lock up to a long-term contract extension. I, I, It's unfair to think of the Albert Pools comp. And look, I, as much as we say, yeah, we didn't, we, I agree, we did, probably didn't hype up Walker's rookie year enough. Uh, some of this is part of the pressure, if you want to call it that pressure, that the front office put on him. Because I'll never forget when Mo made the comments of, yeah, we haven't seen numbers like this since Pools and Tavares and the Myers. And I went, ah, oh, crap, here we go. And, and I think that was a little bit unfair sure. of the front office to bring that up. They should have just gone with the classic. Yeah, we really like what we're seeing from in the Meyer Leagues. We didn't have to attach Pujols' name. Even though he wasn't saying he's going to be Albert, but the moment you attach that name to him, that's the name that everybody goes, oh, okay, so he's going to be Albert Pujols, and that's just unfair. All right, we'll get some of your some more of your voicemails, excuse me, coming up on the other side. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. That same number is the way to get in touch with us via the voicemail. Just give it a call. When it gets to the voicemail, leave us whatever it is. Leave your name with your voicemail if you don't mind. It'll be easier for us to be able to label these things a little bit better. We'll get to some more of your voicemails coming up next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. So that original contract you were talking about, 11 years, $250 million, that's an AAV of $22.5 million, I think. That would put Jordan Walker as the 45th ranked player based off of AAV in the league. And that's not even factoring in um, what that contract will look like 10 years from now. So I think it would be a great deal. I think the Cardinals should do it. Um, that puts them behind the likes of... Ian Happ right now, Kevin Gosman, Luis Castillo, JT Romito, Trevor Story. So I think it's a great deal. 
Yeah, I, I think when you look at what players are making in Major League Baseball right now, people just underestimate how much it's going to cost to be able to re-sign somebody of Jordan Walker's ilk. Alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Bradford Bruns, I'm Brandon Kiley. The news of the day in Major League Baseball is a massive contract extension with Bobby Witt Jr. for the Kansas City Royals. In total, it could amount to 14 years and $377 million. In guarantees, though, it's a seven-year, $150 million contract, essentially, is what he is guaranteed to make if he wants to he can get that up to 11 years and 288 million dollars so it's a massive deal for a kansas city royals team that never gives out these kinds of contracts i think prior to this the biggest deal they had ever given out was salvador perez's contract which is like 25 million dollars a year so they they don't give out these kinds of deals to anybody at before that it was alex or or, um, alex gordon who got like 75 million dollars i think from the team so this is a huge um diverting path from what they had previously done big time deal big time player he's young he's amazing he's great defensively put together an awesome offensive season last year everything you needed to know about bobby witt jr he answered that a season ago jordan walker's not there yet jordan walker hasn't answered every question he is where bobby witt jr was coming off of his rookie season which was hey you can see all of the bright spots there's some questions with bobby witt jr people weren't totally sure if the bat was going to adjust the way that they expected it to He definitely needed a little more seasoning defensively. He just looked kind of rough around the edges in year one as a shortstop. Year two looked like a gold glover. And our question today here on the show, would you give Jordan Walker less, but a contract resembling what the Royals just gave to Bobby Witt Jr.? T-Bone, I talked about it in the last segment. I, I think the best comparison for what, at this point, my comparison would be for Jordan Walker is Vladimir Guerrero Jr., A really good player, young, came up and immediately had success similar to the success that we saw from Jordan Walker at the age of 20. Walker was 21. And I I think stylistically, they're pretty similar as well. Both are big guys. Walker more athletic than Guerrero is. Both limited in terms of what they offered defensively early on in their careers. Eventually, Guerrero kind of figured it out defensively. Still not an asset in that regard, though. I asked you going into this segment... How many players would you take over Vladimir Guerrero Jr.? If you were starting a team today and you were trying to build a team, how many guys would you take over him? Here's the list that I've come up with so far. You tell me what you think. Ronald Acuna Jr., Mookie Betts, Shohei Otani, Corbin Carroll, Julio Rodriguez, Juan Soto, Aaron Judge I'm questioning because of the injuries, but I think I would probably do it. Austin Riley, Luis Robert. I think you could probably find a few others. Like Bryce Harper, I think I would probably take over him. Probably listed like five other names that I haven't gotten to yet that I would take over what you're getting from Vladimir Guerrero Jr. We're talking about a top 20 player you want to build around, though. I think that's the company that Jordan Walker is keeping right now. So I would get this deal done as quickly as I possibly could if I'm the the Cardinals. The price of business is only going up from here. Yeah, I I agree. If you're the Cardinals, I think you have to explore this because you're right. One, the price of business is going up. And and two, if he is a top 30 top 20 player in major league baseball that team's view executives view as hey that's somebody you want to build around i mean we talked about the structure of the contract for bobby wood jr he doesn't really start making money until about year what five of that contract and then he starts to make 30 and then it jumps up to 35 and it basically holds at 35 for the rest of the contract well you look across baseball all the best players the best bats outside of like bryce harper now whose contract as we've mentioned multiple times 
is a steal now that he's making $28 million. Judge got $40 million in his latest deals. A lot of the best bats in baseball are making between 30 and $40 million. So if you can kind of just lock up this contract, provide certainty, like the is he going to potentially out-hit his way through arbitration to where he gets super expensive? Maybe, but for the most part, teams have a pretty good idea of what they're going to be spending on a player in arbitration. This just guarantees you know exactly what he's going to make. And then if you want to, if you don't want to do the contract, well, you're going to have to pay him whatever the dollar figure is at the time to keep him here once he gets to his free agent years. So why not sign him to a contract extension and try and lock him up and lock up some of those free agent years? And you can throw in as many opt-outs as you need to to get the deal done. You can even include a team option at the back end like the Royals did. I I think if you have a top 20, top 30 player that is viewed across baseball that executives want to build around, I think you have to lock him up. Now, the spot that I would hope that he becomes better at than what Vlad Guerrero is, as that I hope it becomes he is more consistent than what Vlad Guerrero sure. Jr. is because he had the MVP caliber year in 21, still had a really good year in 22, and then this year it was kind of another downturn year for him. So I, I would get that to a certain extent, but I, I would say lock him up now because you're right. If he has a really good year and he puts up Bobby Wood Jr. like home run and RBI numbers this year, the price of business just goes up from there as well on the extension. So somebody on the the YouTube chat, youtube.com slash 101ESPNSTL, uh, that's where you can go to the graveyard, get involved in the chat. They said this is the first MLB team in Missouri to sign a contract that either lasts 10 years or accounts for $200 million in total outlay. Think wow. about that for a second. The Cardinals were beat by the Royals to a 10-year or $200 million contract. I'm not telling you the Cardinals need to like go out there and be aggressive just to prove the naysayers wrong. But that is a pretty remarkable thing. The team from across the other side of the state that I've rooted for my entire life growing up, that was too cheap to keep Johnny Damon, Jermaine Dye, or Carlos Beltran, too cheap to keep Zach Grinke, too cheap to keep any of their stars my entire childhood. I, I grew up with my team being the farm team for the New York Yankees. That's essentially what they were. That team gave out this contract before the Cardinals were willing to. And the Cardinals have had guys that were interested in coming here that could have gotten those kinds of deals. So this is a team that just has to modernize its thinking. And part of modernizing the way that they operate is getting deals like this done early. Somebody on the text line also brought up, what is a a fair critique? And they said, hey guys, there is almost zero downside to waiting for something like this. There is downside. The downside is paying this contract. Yeah. The downside is the longer you wait, the closer you are to seven years and $150 million instead of like seven years and $100 million. And 14 years and $377 million instead of 14 years and $280 million. That it, there's like a hundred million dollars in difference there. Yeah. So yeah, there there is serious downside to waiting, and it's money. It's are the Cardinals actually going to be willing to spend that when the time comes? If they're not, you should get this done as soon as humanly possible because the cost continues to skyrocket the more that Jordan Walker 
proves. All right, coming up next, want to hear more from you. Uh, the mic drop feature is 314-399-9646. Give us a call there. It's the same number as the text line. Leave us a voicemail over there. We'll get to those coming up in the next segment. But first, I got to tell you about Heating Up St. Louis during the 24th annual Hardee's Rise and Shine fundraiser. Stop by any participating Hardee's in the bi-state area on Friday morning. Grab a sausage biscuit or egg biscuit for just $1. 100% of the proceeds of all funds collected will help Heat up st louis supporting people in need in both missouri and illinois that's friday morning at any participating hardy's find more info at 101espn.com as in a little addition to this i will be out at st peter's location on friday from 6 to 8 a.m so if you want to come by say hello or just tell me how much you hate our show either way i will be at the location off of zumbel at hardy's coming up next we'll hear more from you jordan walker you want to be here long term talk about it next year on 101 espn we're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I definitely would do that for Jordan Walker. He's talented. He's athletic. You can tell that he's smart. He's got all the attributes that you want in an athlete, hard worker. So if there's any athlete that's worth that risk and chance, it's definitely Jordan Walker. I mean, I just don't think they're going to miss on this young athlete. So anyway, it's a weird place for me to be, but I'm in agreement with you guys. That's Lisa who agrees with us for maybe the first time in the history of the show. I, I think they should get Jordan Walker signed up as soon as humanly possible. Now, if that means waiting until the tra- the all-star break or next offseason to do so i'm not going to be like screaming at the team for not getting this done here and now i i understand it if they want to see another year it's a more than a reasonable opinion to have and reasonable minds can disagree on something like this but for me i I don't need to see a whole lot more i saw the improvement defensively at the end of last season that i needed to in order to believe he's going to be at least average out there i saw the improvement with the bat from day one that dude can hit like he's, he's going to hit for average. I'm pretty confident that the power will continue to come as he ages and off the field. Lisa just said it perfectly. There's no questions that I have about the guy. So I, I would get this done with Jordan Walker as soon as humanly possible. Let's go back out to the mic drop feature to hear from the 314. I'm a in this. Have to be patient and prudent with our spending. Both signing Jordan Walker right now will be a good use of that we have, especially given that we don't know what all of our revenues are going to be. Hey, Phil, the fan. (laughs) Maybe they'll say that. I don't know. I would say probably not, but... So, one thing to keep in mind with the timing of all of this, Goldie has one year left on his contract. This is the last year of his contract that's guaranteed. Now, I I think they're going to get a contract extension done with him, whether it's now or mid-season or whatever. I think that'll probably eventually get done but it's not done yet nolan arenado has three years left of real money he's technically got four years left on his contract the fourth year is cheaper though because of the way that it all sets up three years left of real money for nolan arenado which means if you were to sign this and it resembled the contracts that bobby witt jr just signed in kansas city bobby witt's first three seasons are one million dollars two million dollars and five million dollars that changes nothing for what the team is going to be spending over the next few years they were already going to be spending something like that If you wanted to get Jordan Walker done now, it would line up with the money that's falling off of your books over the next few years when Jordan Walker starts to make real money. He would essentially replace the salary slot 
of what Nolan Arenado is currently making. So it makes sense from that perspective as well. I actually think the timing is pretty good to get a deal like this done. Let's go back out to the 314 to hear on the mic drop feature. I would definitely sign him up. But more importantly is I would go out and do Jordan Montgomery and bring him in. It's going to cost you, but the Cardinals need to do it. And I would also give Walker, if he wants to stay here, which I think he does, because everyone wants to stay in St. Louis. You know, it's St. Louis, baby. And I think uh, I think they need to get this done. So we'll see. Yeah, I, I, I think you try and get it done. And I, I would assume he probably wants to stay here right now, based on this. But sure. I, I think to your point of like how the contract structure would work out and the timing of it all, I, I agree it works out perfectly for him. To where I, I think you approach him, and you're right. By the time that you start to see serious money made on this deal, Arnado's money falls off the books or you rework a deal with him. Same with Paul Goldschmidt. And, and we've talked about this, about it being a pivotal year for the Cardinals. Like, if they have a down year, I don't know what 2025 looks like. They may view it as a potential, maybe we do need to go through a retool slash rebuild. Well, if you've locked up Jordan Walker, you've got the face of the franchise for not just three years if you're a good competing team, but also if you do go through a retool. Everybody knows, hey, Jordan Walker is locked up to a contract for the next seven years of guaranteed money. There is no questioning of, oh, well, what does the future hold for Jordan Walker if this retool goes the wrong direction? All right, last one here from the 314. Let's hear final thoughts on if the Cardinals should extend Jordan Walker this offseason. I'd like to hear your guys' thoughts on this. Um, Goldie is going to need replaced at first base here uh, in the near future. Uh, Jordan Walker used to be a third baseman. Do you guys think there's any uh, potential of him moving to first base in the long term? I think it would be a mistake. I think moving Jordan Walker to first base would be a mistake long term because then you waste his arm. Like his arm is, com- and I think his athleticism is wasted there as well. Now, six seven years from now, when Jordan Walker is like getting closer to thirty years old and he's like six five and three hundred pounds potentially, and I'm not saying he's going to be like this old slot. He's like two hundred sixty pounds right now. And as you get older and he continues to age, he's going to continue to put on more weight, you would assume. Yeah, maybe at some point you move him to first base. I don't think we're anywhere close to that time. You keep him in the outfield as long as you possibly can, and then you explore what it looks like down the road. But right now, no, I don't think that's something that I would explore. Yeah, I wouldn't either. I think because of the arm talent, I think that's the biggest thing for me. The The arm talent would say if he's not in the outfield, then it's kind of, it's kind of a waste. And I think because of the athleticism and that arm, you try and profile him into right field. Now, if they did this contract extension and he didn't develop into the outfielder that they thought, like he's below average, I'll say, they they could then explore if they wanted to. They could then explore putting him at first base. But that is like worst-case scenario. He never develops defensively, that then you have to put him at first base. I don't think they're going to go down that path. I still agree with you and say stick with him in right field. I say you've probably got another three years to figure out if he can be a right fielder and my guess is he's going to figure it out and will be a good above average defender and right yeah if you've got a first baseman of the future on your roster right now I think it's one of two people I think it's either Alec Burleson or Nolan Gorman I think those guys are more likely to be first baseman than Jordan Walker in the foreseeable future and I think Nolan Gorman like if he's healthy is a more than capable second baseman. I think another yeah. guy that could do it is Brendan Donovan. That's who I thought you were going to say for number two because yeah. I thought he was above 
because he's played a little bit of first. Gorman, it would be another position change. Right. Donovan's the guy that I had as number two. But, yeah, I think all three of those guys would be listed right now by the Cardinals' front office as ahead of uh, Jordan Walker's moving into first base. Yeah, or somebody that's not currently on the roster. Yeah. Like th- those are like your Pete likely Alonso. options for, for first base of 2025. I don't think Pete Alonso is going to oh. be on their list. I'm going to go ahead and go out on a limb and say he's probably at that 10-year or $200 million oh, contract, man. both of which apparently takes the Cardinals out of the running. He's Tanner Hendrickson. That is Bradford Bruns. I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, we're going to put a bow on this conversation of the Jordan Walker deal and whether or not it's something that should happen this offseason. I'll also try to put into context a little better what his rookie season tells us about his, what, what his future potentially holds. And we'll give you a chance to win a pair of single session passes to the MVC tournament. So stay tuned for that. That's all coming up here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. If you guys missed any of it, check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, and the free 101 ESPN app is where you go to find it. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. You can always check us out as well on YouTube, youtube.com slash 101ESPNSTL. That's where the graveyard is. They uh, they enjoy themselves over on the chat, uh, youtube.com slash 101ESPNSTL. Our conversation has been focused for the majority of the day on Jordan Walker and whether or not we would give him the contract or something resembling the contract contract that Bobby Witt Jr. just got from the Kansas City Royals earlier today. If you're not uh, up to date with this, 14 years, $377 million is the max that this contract could be between Witt and the Royals. The guarantee is seven years and $148 million. For us, T-Bone, I think we're on the same page here. I would do it. I'm not saying there has to be urgency. Like I'm, I don't feel as adamant about the Cardinals getting a urgent extension done with Jordan Walker as I do that they are severely lacking a number two starter right now and if they don't get one by the deadline they're going to potentially punt on a season in which they should be contending I feel pretty strongly about that one do they have to get a contract extension done right now with Jordan Walker or people should revolt against the team no but I think it is the guy that I would target on contract extension discussions this offseason more so than Paul Goldschmidt, more so than just about anybody else. I would talk to Brendan Donovan as well, but that's a different category of extension. That's more in the the ilk of like the Paul DeYoung deal, the Colton Wong deal. That buy out his arbitration years, make him happy. He's the face of what you're doing right now. Jordan Walker is the face of the future of the franchise. Yeah, and I, and that's why I, I would do it as well. I, I think when you look at him, his rookie year was really impressive, like 16% above league average, has all the tools that we've talked about. You know, I think defensively he's going to get better. You look at him offensively, hits the ball really hard. And if he starts to lift the ball, which he talked about at winter warm-up, holy crap, watch out, because now you're going to really see him come into his power, both in terms of home runs and double total and maybe even triples as well. And, and I, I think when you – talk about Jordan Walker he's the kind of guy that I've seen the rookie year I saw improvements in the rookie year defensively as well I can dream on him continuing to grow and become the next superstar for the St. Louis Cardinals I I, I would do the deal I, I would sign him to a Bobby Wood Jr.-esque contract and I don't I don't like doing a lot of contract extensions he's the one guy that I would do it with so I said earlier I think we did a bad job this year and this is on me not on you anybody else 
of putting into context Jordan Walker's rookie year because we got a lot of people on the text line on the voicemails as well today that said something to the effect of guys Jordan Walker he didn't live up to the hype this past season he wasn't as good as expected and that's just not true I said before the season season I t-bone I I tamped down expectations. I was like, guys, we are getting way out over our skis on what a 21-year-old player should be expected to do. Jordan Walker was better than I thought he was going to be offensively, and I hoped he could be something good. The list of players at his age that struck out less than he did, had a batting average as good as he did, and hit at least 15 home runs. It's not like some crazy qualifiers. Young, didn't strike out a lot, good batting average, 15 or more home runs. Jordan Walker... Michael Harris II, Vlad Guerrero Jr., Carlos Correa, Bryce Harper, Eric Hosmer, Ryan Zimmerman. Those are the guys that we're talking about that are in this criteria. All of those guys went on to be somewhere between good and great players. So the the risk here is not particularly high. Like if you want to go back further, Adrian Beltre, A-Rod, Ken Griffey Jr., um, Eddie Murray, Gary Carter, those Johnny Bench. These are the kinds of names that we're looking at here. Jordan Walker has already proven plenty. He's going to be a good player. Now, the degree of greatness, still untapped. We don't know yet. I think Vlad Guerrero Jr. is probably a pretty close comparison for what you should be expecting down the road by Jordan Walker. And if he reaches that, you're going to hope by the end of this season that he was already extended because the cost of doing business only continues to go up from here. Enjoyed our conversation today. For Tanner Hendrickson and Bradford Browns, I'm Brandon Kylie. Before we get out of here, we got to give you your chance to win a pair of single session passes for the 2024 State Farm Missouri Valley Conference Men's Basketball Tournament. It's the return of Arch Madness. That's the easier way to put it. The annual MVC tournament, March 7th through the 10th over at Enterprise Center. All session and single session tickets are on sale right now you'd like to score a pair of tickets you can text us 314-399-9646 if you're a texter number 101 and you can answer this question correctly you're getting those passes there is one team in the sec in the past 20 years t-bone that went winless in basketball conference play for men's basketball who was that team Pray to God that Missouri doesn't follow them this year. If you can name that team in your texter number 101, you're getting those tickets to see Arch Madness. That is on the text line at 314-399-9646. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow at 11 a.m. Fastlane's coming up next here on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.